This is episode 138 on Call In, Savvy Sabs podcast. Israel knew Mediasan was canceled. What else did we talk about? RFK Jr. lying about apartheid. Oh my gosh, there's so many things that have happened this week. Let's go ahead and dive right in. We're going to go ahead and bring in David. You are on the mic. Just have to unmute. What's up? Hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Hey, David. Hey, hey, um, how's it going there, Eric? Um, I also wanted to mention that uh, Sebastian said in the chat he wanted to talk about or wanted to hear about George Santos getting expelled, too. There's a whole other story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I definitely won't be talking about that, but I'm sure someone will. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to bring up actually, like there was, uh, the, um, the super chat I brought up, uh, right at the end there. And, uh, I was hoping to kind of get your take on that, uh, too savvy on, um, basically like the fact that, uh, you know, at least for me personally, like I've been on like a five year job hunt, like it's just been kind of like one thing after another for me. And for the most part, just kind of largely working for myself and, you know, doing like gig work and things like that. Um, and so basically hearing um, basically with Elon Musk, like talking about like unions and like how, you know, they're like basically like a, almost kind of like a failure of the company itself. If there's like a call for a union or if like a union is like, you know, applied, uh, I, yeah, I'd be curious, like on what he thought of like, um, of like Hollywood in that sense with SAG after and all that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, because I, I, I was, was kind of like referring like a lot to uh, my own um, run ins on LinkedIn and uh, one particular person on LinkedIn who, I, you know, I won't name on here uh, for, you know, for sake of privacy and all that. But uh, one very influential person, we'll say, on LinkedIn who works for Amazon uh, pretty high up on the on the totem pole. And um, basically, um, like when I brought up about like Sega of America, Sega, you know, as, as, in, as in the the, um, the Sonic the Hedgehog company. Um, how they recently, uh, uh, how they recently unionized. And when I brought that up as like, you know, as like a positive thing, he actually blocked me on LinkedIn. And this is kind of a big deal, like to be blocked by this particular person, because he is very influential within just the LinkedIn, especially the LinkedIn gamer space, like the gaming industry space, uh, where I largely work within. And um, whenever I kind of see his name kind of pop up, it's, you know, it's always like blocked for me in that sense. So it's not great in that case. So, um, yeah, I guess I was, yeah, I was kind of looking on your take with all that, just with all that, um, that spiel I basically gave. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting, but you know, it's, it's, it's funny, like how many people are against unions, because to me, I'm just like, if employees feel the need to unionize, that means that the company has failed. That means the company is not doing their job and making sure that these employees are taken care of. So if the company was doing their job and taking care of the employees, they wouldn't try to unionize. So this is really on uh, the company. But again, you know, I I do know that Amazon was very much, of course, heavily against uh, unionization. So Chris Smalls did face a lot of opposition. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I was like thinking about him actually when like referring to this one particular person, but I didn't mention anything about Chris Smalls to him on LinkedIn, but all I basically said was like a positive like comment in regards to the Sega union. And mm-hmm. that's what got me blocked effectively. <laughs> so, uh, but no one's like willing, I guess, like, you know, whenever I bring up like the unionization, everything, everyone gets kind of like, you know, walking on it, uh, walking on eggshells type of like feeling whenever I bring that up. It's like, Oh, you don't want to say the U word, you know, kind of thing. Like it's almost like a, you know, it's almost like saying like a racial slur or something <laughs> like, you know, when you bring yeah, that up on, on, on LinkedIn. 
Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, you say the word union and people like freak out. Like LinkedIn is a weird space. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, originally I thought that LinkedIn was um, mainly for people who are trying to find a job. Right. But it has turned more into like a social media space where it's not just for like people trying to find a job. People are posting it's, about other things and not just it, employment. It, yeah. It, it's very cool kids corner, basically, <laughs> you know, like, like either, yeah. either you're, you're, either you're welcome in the cool kids stable or you're not. And throughout my whole life, and I can say this, you know, with absolute certain throughout whole, my whole life, I've never been one to sit at the cool kids stable. <laughs> I've always just had like made my own table with other like, you know, rejects of society, if you will. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's 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 just an interesting place, but it's you'll see along the way how many companies are against uh, unionizing. And again, like I said, if you're what, what's the problem? How much money does Amazon make a year? You mm-hmm. can't give these people, you know, the proper benefits. You know, I, I know when I interviewed Chris Malls a long time ago, uh, that was before they won, and. I know that he talked about how they didn't even supply the the employees with PPE. So this was during the pandemic. Like that was one of the things that pushed him to organize. And so it's just, again, you got to think about how much money these companies are bringing in and, you know, how they're just willing to be cheap when it comes to the workers. But they're not cheap when it comes to the CEOs. The CEOs are making banks. So we always have to remember that, like how much these CEOs were able to profit. Some of them, you know, doubled their wealth during the mm-hmm. pandemic mm-hmm. while workers were just scraping by. And speaking specifically, again, like with, with my own situation, with, you know, working within the gaming industry, I mean, like the gaming industry has, has only grown. It's only grown, especially like during the uh, during the pandemic, obviously, like everyone being at home. What else are they going to do? They're going to watch Netflix and play video games, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, you had like the new Animal Crossing game came out right when the pandemic happened. Like there couldn't have been a better time for like basically a cozy game where you're hanging with animal characters <laughs> you know, to come out. So Nintendo made bank with that game uh, specifically. But, um, you know, speaking specifically in that in that industry, and especially this year. And I don't know if, if you've been paying attention, you know, especially with with the, uh, with like, you know, the tech and like gaming industry, especially is that there have been mass layoff after mass layoff after mass layoff, um, you know, all throughout the gaming industry. And there is uh, the Game Awards that's going on uh, very soon, which is basically like the game industry's version of like uh, of like the, the Academy Awards, effectively, um, just with like a lot more corporate sponsors <laughs> attached to it, like more and more every year, I find. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and like you, you'll hear like you know the main get you know the main host will like mention like oh like this is you know like we're we're sh- you're showing off with the best games like that's been released through the year and like there's no mention of the fact that like hey we've had so much talent that were responsible for those games even coming out let go and now a lot of them don't even want to work in the games industry anymore because of how much that they're you know seen as being disposable. You know, either they're going off and like making their own studios, or they're just leaving the industry entirely, and that's just—it's just—it's a damn shame to see, honestly. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that was something that you're aware of, Savvy, but I just brought it up in case you weren't. They're treated horribly. Um, in particular, I've heard stories about EB Games, how they treat their employees. Like, from what I understand, these people are working like extensively, like long hours, not getting breaks sometimes because uh, they have crunch times to get these games released at a certain date and stuff like that. I've, I've heard some crazy stories uh, when it comes to the gaming industry. 
I mean, there there was like a recent one with with, uh, Bungie, and uh, Bungie is, um, they were the studio that was behind the original uh, Halo games, if you remember Halo at all. And, um, you know, they worked on Destiny as well, and Destiny is also like a huge game franchise for them. Um, And they they were recently uh, acquired by PlayStation, and the CEO, I believe, of Bungie basically promised the employees, this will not affect your jobs, you know, we're not looking to make cuts or anything, because people were kind of reading the writing on the wall, if you will, like when that acquisition was made. And the CEO said, oh, this won't impact you guys. And then soon enough, like within that same year, within this year, um, they had their own mass layouts, like thousands of people losing their jobs. Uh, so, yeah, and, and this has just been pervasive all throughout the gaming industry. And, yeah, it's it's it really puts the industry in like a really bad place. And I've I specifically worked within the industry for over a decade now. I've never had a full-time job within the gaming industry. I've always worked like just contract work or doing my own projects or whatever. Um, and at this point, I'm just like, should I even keep pursuing it? And like, so at least that's why for me anyway, I've been pursuing more like my voiceover business because at least I can apply that to many different industries, not just the gaming industry. So, yeah. I mean, one of the things that that is always made tech workers who work in gaming particular particularly vulnerable is that everybody, especially like young programmers and artists and things like they want to work on games. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the cool work. The sexy work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so if if you don't like the working conditions, you know, there's 10, there's a hundred guys waiting in line for that job behind you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for for tech, I think it's just especially bad. And so you end up with, with a workforce that'll just put up with anything Mm -hmm. almost. And it's, yeah, it's not a good situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've actually been, um, been speaking with people lately. Uh, I have to remember what their uh, acronym is. I can, I can send that over to you. Um, I think it's I A T S E. I want to say they are a group of people who work within the gaming industry who are actually looking to try to unionize and try to uh, get worker empowerment going through unionization uh, to make better working situations within these uh, huge companies. Uh, I believe it's I A T S E. I want to say so. Uh, definitely look out for that uh, for you know anyone who's like interested in uh, checking out gaming industry worker uh, rights and all that stuff. Uh, they're very good in that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's basically all I have to say. Like you know, I don't want to take up all your time. So thanks for listening to me. It seems like unionization tech has been really tough. Yeah, it has. It has. Thank it's you so part much. Part of it too is yeah, a lot of the jobs are, are pretty cushy. Yeah. Totally. David. Yeah. yeah. Um, you let me. Oh, what was that, Roger? Sorry. I said union is worker leverage. If you want worker empowerment, do a co-op. Yeah, um, I, I think I brought up like co-ops to them because I've I spoken with them like a few times, actually. Like, they, they do uh, Twitch streams uh, for their meetings and um, like mm-hmm. I, I join in on them every so often. And um, uh, I'll, I'll have to mention more of that to them. I also brought up uh, was it the um, uh, Shama Sawant's uh, group to them in case they want to do something like in collaboration with them. Uh, so I brought that on their radar as well. So thanks, thanks for the uh, for the mention there, Roger. Yeah. Also, since you're here, you're you're, you're uh, D- David Burt, right? Are you David Burt? Uh, no, David Giltonen. This is a different oh. David. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am the guilty one. <laughs> oh, you're not the one from Massachusetts. I am from Massachusetts. Yeah, there might be another David from Massachusetts that you're thinking of. <laughs> there's there's multiple Davids um, from Massachusetts that are involved. With the mutual aid efforts, Roger. Sorry, there's like four. <laughs> oh. Yeah, there are a lot of us actually. Yeah, funny enough. <laughs> so I had 
So since I got you, Sabrina, and Eric here, and and maybe uh, Terry is somewhere down there, um, I suggested this to Sabrina on the on the DM about that guy uh, who's running to be be your senator, right? Mm -hmm. um, Griffin, something like that, right? I don't know mm -hmm. if the guy sounds familiar. Yeah, hooked Sabrina up with him yet? But what I was suggesting is. All of you guys, if if Sabrina is able to get in contact with him, all of you guys have a private Zoom. Just just the, what do you call yourselves, Massachusetts people? Uh, was it Bay Staters? Was was well, all the people? <laughs> Mass holes usually. <laughs> <laughs> Sabby knows. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, if you're from like the Boston area, like the the technical term is Bostonians. Um, I, I'm not sure if Massachusettsians is a thing, but um, yeah, usually everybody people around here will, 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 will say Massholes. So. <laughs> so everybody from Massachusetts have a private Zoom with this guy, right? Mm -hmm. And you just talk about things that, hey, what are you going to do for Massachusetts, right? Like you just stay state specific, right? Mm -hmm. Matter of fact. Don't ask him what you're going to do for us. You say, no, this is what we need done. So we're coming to you with right. what, you know, you're going to sign on to this or not. Because a lot of times you leave it up to these guys to solve your problems for you. Uh, it, it don't go exactly the way that you thought it would go. They're going to right. demands, Roger. <laughs> so, so he, so Eric brings his demands, right? So all of you guys or all of you uh, Bay Staters, get on a private Zoom, right? And you ask some Massachusetts-specific stuff, right? And mm -hmm. then Sabrina brings him on to her show to talk about what you're going to do for the for the nation, your, your national and your global uh, uh, plan. You know what I mean? And, you know, Sabrina takes, like, questions before the, audio, before the interview to talk about the national stuff, you know? So, so your private Zoom, you guys talk about what you're going to do for Massachusetts-specific. Right, and then you come on. She brings them on the big show, her show, and he says, "What are you gonna do for the nation? What are you gonna mm -hmm. do for the world?" So you know, it's just a suggestion. I mean, it could be a cool idea. Yeah, if like Savvy's on board, that we can figure something out. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and thank you so much, David. Cheers. All right, I'm gonna come back to you, Eric, uh, in the queue. I'm gonna go to Miss Delthea because I know she has. She usually has early time out. So, Delthea, you are now on the mic, and I'll come back to you, Eric. I'll pick you back up. Just got to hit the uh, unmute button at the in the bottom corner. I don't know if I'm supposed to turn on the heat or what, man. This weather is weird. Like, yesterday, one day it's like cold, and now it's like, hi, Delthea. Hey. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. Oh, I'm fine. I got people downstairs. I'm supposed to be quiet. Oh. I probably won't be, but I'm supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been, I've been trying, I've, I've had a lot. I write, um, like personal life stories for children. Oh, and I just finished my last one for the Christmas. <sighs> mm. The bank account looks a lot better, but I am tired. How do we find these, Delthea? What do you mean, how you find what? Me? You're writing, yeah. Um, <laughs> I would probably start on my Facebook page. 
You can either look up my name or the word Smith of Wilmington. Okay. And if you like it, let me know. Um, and I also have six or seven books on um, Amazon. If oh, you like my writing. Look at you, Dougie. <laughs> well, I'm, look, hey, you, you got to make a living in this world. Um, what do I want to talk about tonight? Let's see. Let me make this quick. Um, first of all, when people immigrate, they do not immigrate because Junior is shooting people at the juke joint. They do not immigrate because somebody is stabbing somebody in an alley. People immigrate because their working conditions are horrible or their wages are worse. If either state, Florida or California, wants their people to stay there, pay them better, treat them better. This ain't deep. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, that lying ass Elon Musk. <laughs> You ever look at somebody and just say his face says oppression? <laughs> no, you didn't. What? Oh, my look, Lord. I'm 58 years old. I will do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> you said his face says oppression. Ball face lie after ball face lie. And I'm just sitting there going, Lord, I wish I could just reach into this computer. Just let me reach in there for a minute. All I need is 60 seconds for, and I will bring him to Jesus. Just let me. I'll either bring him to Jesus or send him to him. Either one is fine with me. <laughs> I worked on the floor with the people. Oh, please. <laughs> My God. You know, I, the, the only thing worse than you thinking you smart is thinking I'm dumb. Ooh. If the good Lord willing, the creek will rise and drown that man. Whew. Ooh. Oh, let, me, let me calm down. I need to pour me a bourbon. Well, I just wanted to make sure that I got that in. Everybody else, y'all have a good night. And I will talk to you later. All right. Thanks so much, Delthea. All right, let's bring in Eric, also known as a kid. Delthier. And Eric T, you go ahead first. Sir. Hey. I was just saying, Delthier always leaves too soon. What's up, Eric? Hey, how you doing, Eric? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, there's a lot of Eric's and a lot of uh, David's. <laughs> What's going Three on? more David's than Eric's. Come on. Yeah, that's right. Hey, Savvy. Hey, Eric. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Um, Good show, really good show. Actually, I, I wanted to talk about uh, a couple of topics that, that, that were discussed in, in your show, Savvy. But, you know, as far as the security around Israel, just because I also work with, with the corporate security team sometimes, I'm not part of the team myself per se, but I have worked with them for years. And they always have, especially when they're experienced, they're sophisticated, those departments will have uh, basically contingencies and if they know that something's going to come up uh, because they're constantly having discussions about what's coming up down the road in, in different seasons of the year they will have a plan to address a threat now imagine this i'm talking about just a company security department you know which has x amount of dollars for their budget now talk about israel who has billions of dollars 
to at their disposal and they have the most sophisticated they have satellite cameras they have all types of of, of systems to alert them to what's going to happen it's very unlikely very unlikely that they would have had such a big gap to allow what happened in October 7th without them knowing in advance. And clearly, you know, from what we're finding out, they knew about it. And we're mm-hmm. probably going to find out that they, they killed, they probably killed many of their own people when they were shooting at, at you know, Palestinians. They probably did a lot of the killing. Uh, and we're, you know, that's not getting out as much as it should, although the majority of people don't believe the narrative. They're still pushing this, right? The 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 MS mainstream media is still pushing this this agenda pro Israeli perspective. But again, I I would I would say, especially from most of us here, we're probably or many of us were around from nine eleven. You could see that this has a lot of you know of the similar traits that they had to put this and let it happen so that people would get behind it, and then they could do what they wanted to do to the Palestinians, which is what they've been doing. That's right. That's you know, right. so that, yeah. So, you know, and we're not buying it because the, the, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the TikToks are all letting us see this real time and they can't control it. I mean, they're, they're going to want to control it. This is what's going to come out of this. They're, the powers that be are going to want to control TikTok. They're going to want to control what's on Instagram. And they, they already do it to some degree, but they don't have a handle on it yet. But I guarantee you that they're in the works on getting to that, to get us to, to where we can do what we're seeing today. They're going to try to, uh, you know, it'll, it'll come about. I, I am sure of that. It's just a matter of time. Then on, on Gavin Newsom, you know, I, I actually, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but more than 10 years ago, I went to a wedding and he was there. What? <laughs> yeah, I went to a wedding. I think it might have been. It's got to be more than 15 years ago, maybe 17 years ago. But I went to a wedding and I didn't know he was going to be there. You know, I just I went to a wedding for somebody that I knew. And I guess the, the, the one of the persons there knew him. And so he presided over the wedding. He was like the, the guy up there kind of doing the, the uh, you know, the legal wedding thing. And he was there. He was pretty sharp. You know, he was tall guy. Uh, he was checking out all the ladies, you know, we caught him. <laughs> it was funny because some of the girls caught him, you know, checking them out. And I, and I think at the time, I, I can't remember if he was married or not. But, you know, anyhow, he was there. This is 17 plus years ago. Uh, he's probably like the only famous person that I've ever seen really up close that, that way. He said hi to all of us. He took pictures. With, I didn't take a picture with the guy, but many people did. Did he look like he could be on As the World Turns? You know, he was a very, very good-looking guy, man. He looked like he could be an actor for sure. He was sharp, you know, tall, slender, uh, and you know what? He looks just the way he looks on TV. I could say that he genuinely looks that way. Like it's not like that's really how he looks. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and and he was, you know, I mean, as far as in those days, I mean, again, seventeen years ago, whatever it was, uh, I wasn't as, you know, I didn't know what I know today, right? And and he wasn't who he was, who he is today. Although I'm sure the plans were there for him to get to where he is. And the, and in, interestingly enough, the wedding was in San Francisco. And in those days, San Francisco was much safer. And I can tell you, grow, because I also grew up in San Francisco. 
And in some of the areas that I grew up, they were adjacent to pretty rough areas, you know, and I think I, I mentioned this before, but there was a code of conduct back in those days where, you know, elderly people were not going to get beat up. Women are not going to get beat up. You know, it was just a complete different world than what it is today. And in those days, and I remember this, you had to go really deep into downtown San Francisco to really start to see homeless people. You were not going to see a homeless person just everywhere in San, in the Bay Area or San Francisco. That was not happening, Savvy. And, you know, oh. in, 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 in those days, me and because the things that I did as a young person, I was out late at night, like, you know, to like two or three in the morning with many of the people that I ran with. There was not homeless people. They were not there. There might have been one one person that we would have considered like a wino here and there but they were not prevalent at all. And also I was never, I was never scared that, you know, somebody was going to kill me. Uh, it, th those crimes did not exist that I could get my ass kicked or beat up. Sure. That, that was there, but what it is, what has become today were definitely in California. I can tell you, cause I see it with my own eyes. The cops are not going after people the way they used to. They are not. From three, four years ago, something has shifted, and I can see it when I'm driving, when I'm in, you know, just in the freeways. There's not as many cops the way there were before in terms of going after people. There's people doing things on the on the bridges. They they do these shows, car shows. They'll do a car show on the main on what they call the the Oakland Bridge, the Bay Bridge, which is the main traffic uh, bridge in the Bay Area, or one of them. And they'll stop the traffic because there's these people doing car shows and nothing happens. And, and this has happened multiple times over the last couple of years. And this has nothing to do with protests. This has nothing to do with, I'm talking about people just playing around and they, they'll stop the traffic on, on the bridge. So throughout the whole, you know, at least in the Bay Area, from what I could see, the police are not going as hard as they used to for people that commit crimes. Uh, I don't know if it's what, you know, the reason because of what you were saying that they they don't have enough space in the jails. I haven't done enough research to tell you what, what the reason is, mm -hmm. but, but there is. And, and, and the other reason that, that I can tell you why is because me growing up as a young person, you know, and many of the people that I grew up with, some of them ended up in jail. Some of my closest friends for, for things that they did that today they would, they would have been let out, let out. You know, immediately they would have not gone to jail. So how stern the police and the, uh, the DAs or whatever, uh, you know, administer the law, they have softened how they come at people. And I can see that with my own eyes. I can see it from the people that I know. It has changed. Uh, you know, I, do, you I, again, think, do you think this has anything to do with um, George Floyd? I don't know. I, you know, I, I could not speak it intelligently enough to tell you why, because I think in order for us to, because, because, you know, we can assume why here and there, but we have to dig a little bit further. Why is this happening? You know, what, 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 what is causing this? Uh, but, it, but it is happening. And I'll tell you, you know, when I was a young person, uh, uh, many of the people that I ran with, did, we, we, we did graffiti. And so, you know, we would be running around late at night and, and, and that was pretty common for us the cops could get you. And if you, if, if you got into groups of many people, the cops will come with the billy clubs 
and hit you and tell you to get the hell out of there was pretty common. I don't see that happening now. What I see now when I've seen cops in San Francisco, they're very nice to the people that they're, you know, approaching. Very nice. What? Yeah, I'm not saying everywhere. I'm not saying all the cops are nice. But I've seen with my own eyes, you know, even this year where they pulled down one guy. I don't know why they pulled them down, meaning they brought them down and, and they were about to put handcuffs on them, like five or six cops. And it, there was an Asian cop. There might have been a black cop. There might have been a couple of white cops. I, you know, there was, it was a, a rainbow of cops. They were very nice to this guy. And the, and, and the guy that they were pulling down was an African-American, a brother. He was, a, you know, a black dude. But they were very, very cordial to the guy. And, I, you know, I couldn't tell you why they were doing it because I, I couldn't stay long enough. But, you know, they were treating the guy very fairly. Um, I'm not saying it's always like that, but, you know, at least in the, in, in the San Francisco Bay area, uh, it, it, I, you know, from what I've seen, you know, not all the cops are, are assholes in part because, you know, everything that's happened, you know, in part, I think, but there is this, there's less of what I used to see where the cops were very hard and they would get on you. That has, well, no, it, it has lessened. So I'm surprised well, to do thing. that. I mean, another thing that, that's happened is is that everything can be videotaped now, yeah. And so none of these cops want want to be the next guy who ends up all over the internet and 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 becomes you know the the uh, the scapegoat. So I, I think that's probably mm-hmm. had a big effect. But I'm wondering, but why? But why San Francisco? Because that's not happening in like New York, you know. Well, which well, which part are you talking about? So I'm talking about where they're where they're treating people with with more respect and not just going at them physically. Yeah, he he said that's happening in San Francisco, but that's not happening right. in other. That's that's what I was just trying to figure out. I, um, why I don't know. I, I I think across the whole country, I think there's probably been a big shift in police behavior because they they can't get away with it anymore. Some you know, there's always going to be somebody filming them, and that's going to change behavior. No, there was just a video that went viral on Twitter the other day with a, a black, they killed an older black man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be 100%, but it, it's going to have a, 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 an effect on behavior. Yeah, mm. it, and it, I, I think also because San Francisco, Savvy and Eric and team here, at least in the Bay Area, there is this uh, wanting, they push for certain things to to. At least, uh, you know, for the optics, they want things to be for the better, in a sense. Um, and, you know, going back to Newsom, uh, but let, let me take it back. Let's go back to the homeless people. I, I started, or the homeless folks, unfortunately, they are not getting the help the way they should be getting help from our government. And what I was reading, too, is that they have these uh, homeless relocation programs where they'll give somebody a, a one-way ticket on a bus and they ship them from one city to another city. Mm-hmm. It, and many of those people are coming to California, for instance, or specifically they'll send them to San Francisco. And in, once they get to San Francisco, San Francisco has these programs in place, you know, where people will get some money to live in a sense, uh, you know, like actual cash. I don't know how they give them the money savvy. I don't know if they give them like a card or how they do it, but it's happening. And there's parts of San Francisco now where there's, you know, cities of tents. Uh, there's people shooting up drugs in the middle of the day. It's very, very sad. 
And now what's happened, especially like in, in, in what, what we used to call like, like the business sector, like downtown San Francisco, many of the businesses there have just closed down. And then there's all these encampments with tents, but many of the businesses are just shutting down completely. You know, like many uh, coffee shops, little stores, they're all just evaporating. Because of the, because of the the pandemic and the lockdowns? A combination of the, of, of the effect of the lockdowns. And then with many, you know, with the crime, because it is crime infested, um, I think I think somebody mentioned it on the show where here in California, if somebody walks and I've seen this with my own eyes, okay, somebody will walk into like a CVS or a Walgreens and they'll walk out. You know, I, I was at a Walgreens or a CVS uh, in, in this place here in the Bay Area, which is you know kind of a safe area, and and the the the, the CVS person was looking at me and I'm thinking why keeps, why does he keep looking at me? There was a person behind me filling up a cart. And they walked out with a cart full of stuff. And they just I've walked seen out. The, I've seen the videos of people in San Francisco doing that. It, so that, that's really happening. And so many of the businesses, they just can't keep up with that. And now I don't know what's happened. Why? I, I know that the, the rules change. The laws have changed. So they don't go after these people. And the businesses, for whatever reason, I think maybe some of them have gotten sued. So they, 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 tra- they train their people not to even you know, engage these people, uh, you know, so it's just very crazy. So, so these people will walk out with a whole bunch of stuff. Now I got to tell you, some of these people that are walking out with stuff are homeless. They, they don't have the means to, you know, for what they need. However, there's some other people that appear to have more than some means because some of them will have cars and they, they'll actually pull what they call runners where you, you get a group of people and it's a massive amount of people and they'll just run through a store and run out with everything they can get. And I've seen those on here on the local news. And those people don't look, you know, they don't look like they're starving. They don't look like they're homeless. Um, and, it, and it's happening. You know, that's happening sadly, but it's happening more, more frequently uh, than in the past. Now, going back to Newsom, you know, I, I don't want to let that guy go because, you know, he did the whole thing where he was at, at, at a really high end, expensive restaurant here. I think like in the Napa area. The French, the, the French laundry. Yeah, which I've never been there. Okay. I, I didn't even know it, it existed. I have no idea even where it's at per se. I, I, I've never been to that place. But, but I don't forget that, you know, the fact that this guy, because of what he was pushing, people had to wear the mask. Small businesses closed closed their doors because of their you know their agenda, and here he was going to this high end place, not wearing a mask, and the the circle yep. that he was with, those are people with power, you know, and and that business that restaurant that he went to, I I I'm pretty sure it's still open, and so to me that's just unfair, and that's where I get at okay this guy is a fraud. This we we must not forget that this guy, even though he looks sharp, whatever, he's a fraud. The, this is not a good dude, mm. not a not a good person, you know. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then going back to the last topic, you know, and I'll, and I'll hand it back to whoever. Uh, as far as Elon, you know, I don't know. I think that guy's just got a big ego, and he he definitely went to Israel either because he was told to go there from the the people from his board or people close to him 
he had to go to Israel. But look, he went over there. He was on camera agreeing uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, the main guy in Israel, the bad guy. Netanyahu. He was on camera agreeing with them. And then even even on that show, that show that that guy was, uh, that, that new show where he told people to F off. Yeah. He had, he had this little thing on his chain on his neck. Uh, regarding that and so it just he it's just very odd he went over there for a reason and i think when the guy asked him what he asked him that was his ego coming out because he doesn't have to worry you know the people that work at at at, 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 at x if they lose their job you know it'll be a big thing for them to some degree but for him yeah he could tell people to f off because he's a billionaire you know yep yeah, so it, it doesn't matter, you know. Um, but really good, you know, today, like I said, it's a good show. Now, one thing I got to tell you, Savvy, that I'm very surprised that we are not hearing more from Cornell West. Uh, we did just actually. So Eric and I actually just heard about this. Um, Cornell West and Norm. Actually, I found this out via email yesterday. No, um, but I wanted to wait till it posted. But. Uh, Norm Finkelstein told me the other day that he's actually going to be at the Comedy Cellar um, with Cornell West uh, for an event. So that's actually Thursday of, that, of next week. And, is that in New York? Time. Is that in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. And I can yeah. tell you, I can tell you a little in, inside info. They are starting. Um, things with with the volunteers in in that organization organizational stuff it, it is happening so they 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 are gearing up seriously yeah uh, eric knows a little bit more than i do because he he was at the he's a volunteer so he was at the volunteer meeting so he can tell you more than i can they had a they had a, a zoom meeting yet oh nice so so stuff is happening one other thing i just wanted to say on on the whole on the whole crime issue is is you always have to remember like what's what's the root cause of of crime yeah it's poverty right right that's and right so you know we, we've had this degeneration in our society in our economic system you know since the 80s since reagan with mm -hmm. with the rich getting richer and and the poor getting poorer yeah. and so you know if if you the, the answer to, you know, the, the solution to dealing with crime, you know, if, if to the extent we're seeing more crime, you know, is to, to fix the root cause, you know, you don't need more cops, you don't need more laws, you know, you, right. you need to deal with, with the poverty and have a society that, you know, works for the 99% and, and doesn't give all the wealth and resources to, to the billionaires, you know, so I, I think these discussions, you know, should always come back to that, you know. Money and corruption. Well, you know, and that's a great point, Eric, because if, if you give any person, uh, if, you, if you make a person lose all hope, they'll do anything. But if they actually have something that they're actually looking forward to, whether, you know, if they have a good job, a decent job, so they can provide for their loved ones, a person that has that, those opportunities, is less likely to go commit some crazy crime. Yeah, look, those, crimes, you know? those crimes don't happen in, in the nice neighborhoods. No, they don't. They don't have to worry yeah. about that. No, and so you know, there, there is definitely. I think there's that. There is that component that if you reduce it, someone to not having any hope, they'll do whatever. I think also society has been desensitized 
and it has to also change because, um, you know, in, in other years, in other decades, there were, there were poor people. There were people that didn't have, you know, a lot, including myself, you know, including other people that I know. But, but our mindset, and I'm talking about the mindset that, we, that has changed, I don't believe that in years past, the mindset of people was like, okay, I'm going to go do this and commit this crime that would escalate to the point where I'm going to kill somebody. So something has also changed, not only, you know, definitely, uh, you know, what you're talking about, Eric, but I think also the mindset of how far and how quickly somebody will escalate something has changed. And we have to acknowledge that too. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think think the, the lockdowns during the pandemic helped because that actually just drove people further into into poverty. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think that hope is is such a big thing. You know, if you have hope that you can actually do something with your life or for your family, it, it holds you in place. But if you lose all hope, you know, you just basically you go out and do whatever it takes. So. All right, okay. Sabi, I'll give someone else a chance, oh, but good show. Thank you, Sabi. Okay. Oh, yes, yes, sir. Yeah, um, I think it had more to do with the fact that there was probably some laws passed that would make sure that they can't violate our rights. It's most likely why, because, you know, like, you almost sound like you miss that they're not beating up people anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you sound like depressed. Like, oh man, they used to get out their batons and beat us up. Now they don't do that anymore. They're nice. <laughs> no, 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 no. I can't believe this. Let's no, go back but, to the old days. But no, no, no. But you know what? I got to say this. Obviously, there were not cameras, so I, I, I can't tell you if anybody was passing away in, in in the rates that they were today. But in those days, and I remember this. You could get your ass kicked, but you were not going to die. You know what I mean? People were not going to like. Just being the end of your life. That's all. Um, but here's the thing. Yeah. It's it's not the cameras, um, Eric and Eric, because we we had Rodney King that had a camera. It was. Yeah. I mean, before the True. protests, before the protests, there was cameras, and they were still. Yeah, you're not going to hold me accountable. Laws were passed to make mm-hmm. sure that they're held accountable. You feel what I'm saying? So yeah, that's a like good point. Yeah. Um. It might have not happened at the national level, but it was happening at the state and local because yeah. New, York's, New York State didn't end qualified immunity, but um, they ended it in New York City. Yeah. It was in the internet. I'm sticking by it. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. There were some local actions that did happen. So that's a good point um, that you brought up, Roger. That's all. And and also, and then Savvy, oh, go ahead, Noel, my bad, go ahead. I just wanted to say that a part of um, policing and the need for policing is the objective of protecting property of the elite. Mm -hmm. And so when we consider what is going on in the society and what the contouring of policing looks like, it has to do with what Eric was speaking about, you know, the greater gap between wealth. And so when you talk about older days when the police were more vigilant, so it seemed, or more aggressive, we're talking about a time where there was invariably a middle class that bridged the experience of the rich elite and those of the very poor. 
and the distance between those at the very top and those at the very bottom was not as great. Now, we're experiencing a wealth um, disparity and wealth gap that even, you know, exceeds what was going on before the Great Depression. And so the reflection of your policing, and as I say, the contouring has to do with how the elite feel, whether they are threatened and this and that. And then it does speak to the look of things. And you know, policing is a local um, project. So the composition of your society, the demographics of that specific location make a difference. Wherever there's, you know, very great um, concentrations of poor and black poor, you see a more aggressive type of policing. Then one of the other things that we have to consider is we're a much more um, gun prevalent society. Mm. So, you know, we've had issues with the police being shot back at. Yes. So, the you know, there's a whole number of dynamics going on, but I think one of the biggest factors um, has to do with the the disparity in wealth. I you know, and, yeah. Yeah. you know, and then the way, whether they're aggressive or not, has to do with, to whatever degree, the crime that is being perpetrated threatens the elite in that specific area no, that's, you know and yeah. you know and you know what Noel? that's actually a really good observation because when you want if you want to see where we're headed it's definitely a country like brazil where the haves and the have-nots the yep. gap is so wide and the favelas and this and that it yes and killing you know like if you i mean for me again i only use instagram i don't have twitter and but on instagram for many years, I have seen people getting shot in the back of the head on, you know, on Instagram posts, what people post them from, from, from Brazil, many, many. Uh, and it's just that way in Brazil where somebody, they'll walk up behind somebody, they'll rob somebody for basically nothing. And it's because, you know, people don't have anything. Uh, the gap is so wide. In the favelas, I mean, you know, there's, I don't know if it's hundreds of thousands of people living in these houses, but they're shanty houses and not really good structure. Uh, they're not, uh, they don't have really good water sanitation. It's really sad. And, and also within Brazil, you know, and I don't know enough history, so I couldn't, you know, tell you a complete this depiction of it, but a lot of it, it mirrors America in the sense that there's the, the color, the racism where you see that the you know the people that are in the favelas are people of color, and where the people that are maybe in the better areas are much lighter skin, much more European looking, um, and that's there. It's very prevalent, you know, from from what I've seen on the movies and the shows that I've been able to grasp a little bit from that, and that's where we're heading if we if we don't change, I guess you could say. And and one last point I want to make about this: you also have to know that a less um, aggressive type of policing a lot of times lays the foundation for more aggressive policing to come. So if we just like the thing that people were saying, oh, um, Netanyahu and his um, the IDF knew about the plans of the um, Palestinians for October 7th, but they didn't do anything because they wanted to have the justification to go in and do what they're doing now. In a similar fashion, you may have a lax 
approach to policing because the long-term goal is to use that to allow the stats to go up so you can justify a cop city and this and that and say, oh, we got to be so aggressive because look at the crime and oh, these people are pushing stuff and people got to close businesses. So we need to justify the creation of an even more militaristic policing in the years to come. So, you know, it's an interesting and tricky dynamic, Um, but we never lose sight of the fact that police represent the elite's ability to physically enforce the control and their will on the masses. And that's why it's starting to look more militaristic. But how you get there may differ based on, you know, regional impact demographics and things like that. That's right. Thank you, Savvy. I'm going to go ahead and let Ashura or whoever else is next. Thank you, Savvy. All right, cool, Eric. Good call. I think we got a share now. Do you want to see if you can unmute a share? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize I was muted the whole time. Sorry. <laughs> say, oh, were you speaking? Yeah, I was. <laughs> Welcome, Ashura. What's going on? Oh, go ahead. Keep talking while you're muted. It's your turn to talk, Ashura. Go ahead, Ashura. I know. I know. I know. She, 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 she pulled on Elon Musk on me. Like she basically said something, <laughs> and then she, she wanted, she wanted something in return, but she didn't say anything. Uh, I think it was on. I was watching Jimmy's video on that Elon Musk thing. Jimmy's uh, uh, point on that is that Elon Musk tried to do some. He he tried to basically get a, get a gotcha on Jimmy uh, on Disney, but then when he said it, go fuck yourself. There was a pause. And he was like, he, he was waiting for people to just say, oh, my God. But then he did it again. He had to go harder on it. Go fuck yourself. You, you notice that? I was like, you said it the first time. Why say it a second time? That made no sense. Yeah. It's like he was waiting for that moment. Like, yeah. okay, I'm waiting for Jeff Bush to say, please clap. <laughs> He's such yeah, a and, No, I think he was waiting for people to clap. Yeah. And what a fucking, and what a bitch. This, this guy went to Israel. I'm like, why is he in Israel? Like, I, I thought he was going to shut down the internet or basically give Israel some kind of deal with satellite links. I guess he wants to cut the footage because Israel is, is basically, they, they've, it's not they're losing. They've lost the information war. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And the thing about the Gaza thing is that the reason why they didn't want to, uh, this isn't cahoots with Biden, the reason why they didn't want people in reporters in Gaza is because if the reporters went in, it could have been way more worse. The bleeding could have been way more for Netanyahu. And now you got this one coming out, how they knew about it. And when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, this reminds me of something. I'm like, yeah, I was screaming 9-11, 9-11. That's what it reminds you of. Because there's that there's that video when they told George Bush they walked up to him he was with a bunch of kids in 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 a some kind of kindergarten and they walked up and says hey uh says someone has a he was doing story time with a um elementary school in Florida yeah and yeah when when they they went to his ear it's like he fucking froze. It's like they told him beforehand, like a couple of, a couple of months or years ago, they were doing this shit, and he probably thought, "Oh, we're America. No one's gonna fucking attack us. We can attack other countries. They wouldn't dare do it to us." And it did. 
And when it happened, he froze. And Netanyahu was the same thing. Like he, they thought that this, they probably thought this was going to be a debacle when Hamas walked in. They thought they were going to basically the IDF that were there at some places were going to kill Hamas, but it was precision. Like <laughs> wherever they were training, they knew exactly how to how, how to basically attack, yeah. and they were it, it didn't look good. And then they're calling it their nine eleven, which is really tells you this is what they wanted. They wanted yeah. to basically let it happen so they could say this is our nine eleven, just like with George Bush, and then we're going to carpet bomb Gaza. Hmm. I mean, these people are fucking evil. I mean, you, you got to kind of wonder, I like, think... if there was a, a meeting at, at some point where where the, the, this was kind of laid out to um and and in, in these different situations, but in this particular one, to to BB and saying that you know that this could happen. You got to wonder if like him and like his top advisor like went to a room on their own. And they sit, you know, and they're like talking to each other and they're like, you know, this would be really bad, you know, and people would get killed or whatnot. And then the advisor, would, yeah, but then what would happen next? You know, well, you know, then we could go in hard and we'd get a, a, a more uh, military money. And, you know, you got to wonder if that kind of conversation happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were mongers in Israel. And, I mean, you, you had. And I believe, had- as Eric was indicating, that's exactly what these incidents, both 9-11 and the October 7th thing, they resonate of a type of Kissinger-esque approach mm-hmm. where the, the, the demons and the psychopaths at the very top have so little regard for human life till they will factor in the collateral damages of their own people and their own forces to get the bigger objective that they're looking for. And so just as we see with what Henry Kissinger was, um, his approach to certain things in um, South America and the approach of just letting things happen and saying, well, just wait till we leave or, you know, we know you're going to have to do some things, but do it quickly or whatever. We see that same type of um, ideology at the very top in U.S. foreign policy. I believe 9-11, they knew more about it than they will talk about. You know, whenever during that period people tried to question the official narrative, they got shut down, they got disparaged, you know, they got primaried. And I think the same thing is happening now. And the fact that this leak has come out that suggests that the IDF and Netanyahu were aware of it is because they're preparing to rid themselves of Netanyahu because he's they want to cast him as more of a liability because he's going to stand in the way of what they ultimately want to see done. Yep. Well, Netanyahu is a, he's an albatross. He's, he's basically the Israel's noose because this guy has a talking point. And I was watching, Jimmy's been doing all these videos. There's a talking point where he does, he comes up to you and he says, well, there's a terrorist group going around in these Arab countries. Maybe we should go over there and just kill them. Uh, we should just go over there, and, and it would be wonderful for the West and the world if we go just in Iraq and just get rid of Saddam Hussein. And he's like talking over every over the years. It's it's the same talking point, and you just replace the country that you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I I played that video last night. Yeah, I'm like, the fuck is this dude? It's like this dude is dictating exactly the what kind of war the United States should just go into. 
But this is what I've been trying to tell. This is, you know what? This is what I'm like, well, not just me, but even before me, this is what it's come down to. Because the thing is, is like there had been people before who were making these claims, remember? But they said those people were conspiracy theorists. Remember that? That they were saying that it was actually people outside that were making these decisions in the U.S. government. But those people were called conspiracy theorists. I don't know if everybody remembers that. Well, they also called them Zionists. No, they also called them, uh, what do they call them? Uh, when you hate a Jew, uh, I forgot what the word is. Anti-Semitic. Yeah, anti-Semitic. It's when you say that thing that Jews control the world bullshit. And when you think about it, you have Kanye West talking about it. Even Michael Jackson, when uh, the thing happened in Israel, there was the word trending uh, on Twitter. Kanye was right. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, who put it out? It was uh, Frank Analysis that put it out. And I had to look it up. What do you mean Kanye was right? And then I listened to Kanye talking to uh, uh, Chris Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo was denouncing him. He was talking all that shit. Like, I mean, it does sound crazy, but if you think about it, He's not wrong. And then you got Michael Jackson also was talking about the whole how they're they're trying to silence you if you talk about Palestine. There's a clip where he's talking and then there's a music video where Michael Jackson said one word and the Jewish people went out. Well, Israel came after Michael Jackson. They don't really care about us. Yes, yes, that's that music. And there was a word in there that they didn't like. And he had to redo the music or something or change the one word. In one of the lyrics, um, I forget the song, but he said, Sue you, Jew you. Yeah, he did. And they made him re-release re- that thing here. And he tried to go to South America to re-record it with the Sue you, Jew you, but they po- followed him there. And it's that whole trope about pe- Jewish people trying to Jew you down and get a cheaper deal. And that's what they responded. I mean, yeah. it's kind of it's ridiculous how this whole Zionist project shit, they have their fucking tentacles everywhere. They have it in Canada. They have it in the U.S. They have it almost like maybe uh, Argentina. I was like, when does it stop? Like, who the, who is really the person on top? Is it no longer the U.S. or is it Israel now? I don't. I don't. I don't think we were ever really necessarily on top. Well, the billionaires are on top. Right. Like, I, it, it or, just... Not to get too focused on a particular part of this or angle of this, like, you know, whether it's Jews or, or not Jews or whatnot, doesn't really get us very far. But I if mean, you look I'm at how sure. the real power structure works, you know, it's about money at the top that's getting their way by using that money, you know, in corrupt ways to bend the system to their interests so they get even more money. You know, I think that's the thing to really focus on. And it doesn't really matter whether or not a certain number of them are Jews or not. It's really, it, it's, I you think know, it's, yeah. it's an interesting discourse. And I've been trying to be delicate with this topic for the last several call-ins, but I think there is a, a, a something to be said when we say that what is going on is the consolidation of money and power at the top in fewer and fewer hands, that's one thing to say, which is factual. But if those very few at the top who are aggregating this money and power are disproportionately of any ethnocentric or religious background, there is something to be said. But the reality is... 
they have weaponized the critique against that. So if you say, just for example, you say, oh, the top 10 richest men in the world rule the world. And then you say of that 10, seven out of 10 are Jewish. Then automatically people will talk about the power that Jews will, but they've put that anti-Semitic out there to prevent you from having the yeah. discussion about yeah, what happens when a certain ethno group or religious group or any, you know, monolithic group in terms of their identity harnesses the majority of the power. And like you say, it's not just within the U.S. It goes around the world and, you know, they do exercise a, a outsized amount of power given their minority status in numbers across you know the, you know the planet, and it's alarming well, because, of, as I've tried to suggest previously, they're wielding their power towards the benefit of some Zionist project A, B, and C. But when you wield your power in that way, that disparages the the resources and the importance of everybody else who's in the planet. You know, it, and like yeah. I was saying in this Cleveland thing. You know, if the Jewish lobby, including APAC and DMFI, was able, which they successfully did, to bring uh, um, Chantel Brown out of relative political obscurity to win the race against Nina Turner, who for all her faults and shortcomings was a known quantity, she had worked yep. in several capacities politically, locally, and then she had established a national profile through her work with the Sanders campaign. And she was way, way ahead in terms of when the race began, but that money poured in and she, they ran those negative ads against Nina Turner. And at the end of the day, Chantel won. But the issue is in getting Chantel in office, she is now like a mouthpiece or a, a sycophant for whatever they say do. So they may have her voting for certain legislation that is has no bearing or is counter to the needs of her district here in District 11, but we just suffer because she's going to do whatever it takes to keep getting that money and to keep, you know, getting reelected. And that's the critique that people are trying to articulate, at, at least I know in some cases, they're saying, you know, it's not the fact that you've amassed money and power. The issue is the way you use that power creates a hardship for everybody else who's not in your group. Mm -hmm. but, but how does calling it out as a Jew thing help us? How does that help? It's, it's not calling it as a Jew thing, but most of these closer Jews to fixing it. You know, to, I think it actually does the opposite. Here's the thing. You can't get to the solution if you cannot properly discuss and identify the problem. And the the reason, the benefit of having to have the discussion is because we're saying you're using your outsized power to do things that are not in the interests of the masses. And in order to understand how you wield your power, we have to understand that thread that connects the seven out of ten you know, who are ruling the world. So it's just a matter of not being trying to be anti-Semitic or, you know, um, anything of that nature, but to be able to accurately describe what's happening and why it is happening this way. If we were to say, 
the the top 10 richest people each came from different backgrounds, different religions. And so as they tried to use their power to influence policy around the world, it balanced out because you trying to represent your people. I'm trying to represent mine, this and that. And so eventually either our power is going to net itself out and all of our interests will be either to some degree addressed or not addressed. But if you have an aggregation of one group thought that dominates, then everything you all want gets done. And when you think about it, Eric, think about this. Israel is one of the smallest countries in the world, but they're dominating the whole scene now. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, a lot of this political interest and weight can be focused on other things. But it's because of the power of that they have that they're controlling international policy and attention. And it's like the tail wagging the dog when it comes to U.S. foreign policy and Israel. No other country or ethnic group or religious group exercises the type of power and control over U.S. foreign policy like that group does. You know what I'm saying? And so that deserves some type of reasonable balanced discussion but without calling it the out name as call. Jewish doesn't calling this, it out as Jewish me, doesn't me, get us let me jump in here any, for just a second this is not a it's been going on I, for a while but all right I just I just want to be very clear there is a difference between Judaism and Zionism and I think what Kanye was talking about when he said the Jewish people I don't think that he thought about what he was saying because the thing is it's not Jewish people in particular it's Zionism so we have to be careful that we're not conflating the two, because the thing is, is that there are Christian Zionists, right? So we, we have to be aware of that. So not everyone that is Jewish is a Zionist. In fact, I don't know anyone that is Jewish that is a Zionist. Everyone I know that is Jewish is not a Zionist. So we have to be very careful. So the thing is, is that not everyone, again, as I've, I've said before. Not everyone in Israel agrees with what Netanyahu is doing. They're protesting outside of Netanyahu's house, right? Like his favorability rating is very, very low. So we just have to be careful about mm -hmm. that. I think that's that's really important that we have to distinguish the difference. And what is very dangerous is that now, thanks to Chuck Schumer, they have passed legislation in the House that basically is now saying that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And that is very, I think that's a bad idea. And I think that is incredibly dangerous because now what is going to happen, and I'll talk about this more on Sunday, is that now people again are going to, they're going to equivocate, you know, Zionism with Judaism. And that's not the same thing. There's a difference between the Judaism religion and the Zionism. So that's why, and, and by the way, all those squad members voted for it. All of them agreed to it. So the thing is, is like, this is a very dangerous thing. They should have never, that should have never been put forward because Zionism is not Judaism and not all Zionists are Jewish. You can have Christian Zionists, like Hakeem Jeffries is a Zionist. Richie Torres is a Zionist. These people are not Jewish. So that legislation is going to be very bad. I was going to bring that up because uh, they said all the squad members voted for it and then Rashida Tlaib voted present. I'm like, well, why do you let two Republicans vote no and you, you're not the third person to say no? 
if you care so much about uh, Palestine. Because the, the present thing is just you being a coward. Like you couldn't take the vote. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I think the more correct thing is none of the squad members voted no. Um, right. right. Um, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come back to you, Roger. I do want to make sure I keep it moving. Um, but Eric, I think Eric was first, and then I'll go to Ashura. So go ahead, um, Eric, because I know you were going to. I wanted to say was that um, they can get a, a Jewish thing in saying in focusing on you know the Jews having outsized power. It, it doesn't it doesn't get us any anywhere as far as a solution. I mean, what are you going to do about that? But if you focus on billionaires, money, and resources and corruption, then you got something we can do something about. We can have a movement around anti-corruption. So that's my main point, I think. Okay. All right. Um, Ashura, anything else? Yeah. Uh, Henry Kissinger, who died. I find it funny. He reached 100 years and then he croaked. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then Sandra Day O'Connor also just passed away. So you know that you have three. So there's another one coming, too. How old was she? Ninety-three. Oh God damn it! She was from another time. You think Joe Biden will, will reach a hundred and then he dies? Wait, Sabrina, don't leave out Rosalind Carter. There's your three: Rosalind, Shoot. Sandra Day, and Kiss. That's right. I forgot. Jimmy Carter's wife. You're right. You're right. So no one else is gonna die. Cool. What? She was a warmonger. Just famous, I think. No, we were just saying famous people. But is it just me or does it seem like towards the end of the year, you get a rash of deaths right before the new year? It happens every time because you always see it on the New Year's Eve countdown. That's one of the things that they mentioned, the people that we lost this year. But yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because somebody was uh, mad on Twitter. I think it was Misty who who posted on Twitter that uh, Kissinger was dead and somebody was mad. She posted that, oh, we should be in grieving for Hillary's friend that died. And somebody got mad and said, oh, uh, why are you basically crap? Why are you also making fun of a dead man? And I was surprised when you did that uh, stream about him and the amount of death this guy has on his hands. Like, so many people in the millions. I'm like, this guy was Joe Biden before Joe Biden was a thing. This guy killed millions of people, millions of people, and they gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. Isn't that? Obama got one. Too. <laughs> I'm like, well, what, is, what the fuck is the Nobel Peace Prize for, anyways? The amount of people you've killed. Is Netanyahu gonna give one for the Palestinians? I don't think they'll give one to Netanyahu because he's not liked. Oh, oh, Sabrina, you think the United States won't, won't try to get him one? He's he's not liked. Like, oh, it, see, Obama, one. Yeah, Obama was liked. I, I don't know. I think it would be very controversial if they gave one to him. Like, because what kind of peace is he establishing? I think the only way they can justify that is if they can force his hand to this two-state solution thing that we're starting to hear in the American political sphere, if they can force his hand to that and you get some type of two-state ideology and he doesn't just bucket, bucket, 
then they will say, oh, he came along and he participated and oh, what a great leader he was and he deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I know you said, Sabrina, that not all people in Israel are not Zionists. I get what you're saying. It's just a small fraction of them or not. I've seen videos of, what do you call them, Ashkenazi Jews or unorthodox Jews getting beaten by IDF and yep. uh, the police because they are pro-Palestinian. Yep. And um, the But the rest of them, like the other huge chunk of them, they're full-blown Zionists. Full-blown, I'm pretty sure they're right-wing, they're all right-wing. They fucking hate Palestinians, and they hate even Jews who are pro, even worse. I heard you're treated worse than, than, than a Palestinian, Palestinian. And, well, since you did that, they were protesting against them. Uh, I think in, in reality, they're not doing it because, oh, it's, it's because of the, the thing that happened, the Israel thing. It's because, it's because they, they want him gone, but I would want Netanyahu gone because I feel like the one-state solution might happen. Because if Netanyahu goes away, then there's nobody really to manipulate the U.S. public. Because Netanyahu, well, yeah, well, Netanyahu, they were called, they were well, but the next leader will. Like this uh, is the thing: the, the next leader will, just like the leader before Netanyahu, you know, intimidated the U.S. So uh, I, I think that Nef Nef Neftali Bennett was was the same. He he was the same way. He's he's just as bad. Like I mean, it's it's the the thing is is that. When they were protesting outside Netanyahu's house, they were calling him baby killer. This was in response to what was happening in Gaza. When you say baby killer, you mean the Palestinians or are we talking Israeli babies? No, they were calling him a baby killer because of the deaths in Gaza. They were protesting against oh. Netanyahu's actions. I mean, that's, that's surprising. I mean, no, it's not. Like, this, this is the thing. So, this is something to think about. No, no, I'm you, telling you, if the majority of the group, you got the Israelis Jesse, joining with those pro, pro, pro Gaza people. That's why I'm saying it's surprising. They weren't joining with the pro Gaza people because okay. the pro Gaza people were not outside of Netanyahu's house. Okay. They're stuck in Gaza. They can't go to Netanyahu's house. They can't, they can't move freely. These were Israelis that were protesting against Netanyahu. Netanyahu's last time I checked, his approval rating is like 3%. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying, that he's the only one I would say is effective on manipulating the U.S. I don't think you're going to have another one, unless you, because I believe Netanyahu is born in the States, right? I don't know where he was born, but this was happening before Netanyahu. That's the thing. He does, yeah, but he does have some American something in his background. Yeah, so I'm because he bragged about that. He said like he bragged about how he he basically knows the states. He's better than that. and I'm like, okay, if he gets out, they try to get somebody in. I feel this is where basically Israel towards towards itself apart. Civil war is coming. Could be, could be. Anyways, I'm gonna I'm gonna let somebody else come in. Okay, um, let me bring in Sam, and then I'll go to Notori. I haven't forgotten about you, uh, Notori. Let's bring in um, Sam. Sam, you are on the mic. What's up? Just got to hit. Hey, Savvy, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's up? Cool. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Um, first, real quick, I know what you mean about the heat. I, I can't figure out this weather because I'm on the East Coast as well. And it's like 
you turn on the heat, it's too hot. If you turn it off, it gets too cold. It's it's that middle ground. You're like, either just get cold or stay warm. But I yeah, hate but that like, it's funny because like two days ago, it was like really cold. And I was like, yeah. okay. Two days ago, you're like, well, time to get that winter coat out. And then today, I'm like, I, I guess a hoodie works? I don't know. I can't figure out the weather either. Um, so uh, you had on Scott Ritter um, uh, relatively recently, right? Yes. Um, for those who haven't seen that, that was a recorded interview um, because we met during the – I had to record that earlier in the day um because scott ritter had back-to-back interviews by the way like he's very high in demand so he had an interview exactly right after mine um but yeah that was check that out guys um scott ritter knows a lot of information i actually sent that one to my dad too because my dad was former military and i was like i think you'd like to hear what scott ritter has to say because he was former military intelligence but yeah yeah no the so the reason i bring up is because um we already knew the israelis were were told ahead of time the, the egyptians intelligence officers told the uh, israeli military the palestinians were planning attack so I, I bring scott ritter up because he made this point like yeah i'm there's no doubt that uh, Netanyahu was told even probably by his own intelligence officers it's not that he's i unless i see direct evidence um i'm still in the you know i don't think he would have greenlit it his whole his whole shtick to the people in the Likud party especially to the country was i'm mr security I'm ensuring your security. I'm ensuring there will never be any more attacks and your safety is, is what it is. The reason is it's not they dismissed it. It's just plain hubris. Uh, as Scott pointed out, their whole thing that he's really sold to the world is the intelligence. Oh, we, we advanced AI. I mean, these things were automated robot machine guns. The AI was supposedly analyzing all the phone calls in, in Gaza because they have all the access to all the phones. And it was just pure hubris. They just figured, okay, well, we have it on lockdown. And they sent a large swath of their military, this was, you know, months and months prior, to the West Bank. Why? To support the, the settlers so that they can just go in, take, take a home, say it's ours. And if the Palestinian in the West Bank refuse, then, hey, the Israeli military is there ready to shoot you on sight. And we know this. We've seen videos where they shoot them on sight. It's, it, 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 to me, and I, it, it, I agree with Scott Ritter's point. It was just hubris. It was, well, we're so good. I mean, they sell, what is it? Pegasus um, was their, their AI software, their intelligence software. And the, the Palestinians were able to bypass that. So I, I don't know. I would, I would say that his intelligence probably told the higher ups and probably even told him, but I would say it was hubris. It was just the, no, 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 no. Our, our system says that there's no threat. So there's no threat. But, um, I wanted to be quick about this. Uh, who was the woman you were you were playing the clip about where she was saying that uh, black people are not on our side? What was her name? That was Juliana Margulies. Right. Uh, that's not surprising. If anyone wants to watch a video, there's a good one uh, from Breakthrough News where they went in inside an ADL conference. And the ADL conference, they were saying the exact same thing. Oh, we we can't understand why why African-Americans don't support us. This is a huge problem for us. Well, no, it's not. Uh, like I was pointing, like I said in the Super Chat, uh, Israel supported apartheid South Africa. That's actually where they got a lot of their, their nuclear capabilities from, was apartheid South Africa. Mm-hmm. So when you have that, and you have Nelson Mandela, who had said, we will never be free until Palestine is free. You have Malcolm X, who was a vocal critic against it. You have the same segregation policy South Africa did. You had forced sterilization of the Ethiopian Jews they were bringing to Israel. 
where you have parliament members saying that the black people in Israel are a cancer on society. Gee, I, I can't imagine why black people don't want to support you. I, it's it's one of those mysteries of the universe. It's, yeah. um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly true. It's just, and the thing is, is like, you know, black people in this country, like, I think we've put up with a lot, but we will not put up with that rhetoric that came from Juliana Margulies. And, and the thing is, and I, I talked about this last night about Cory Booker, by the way, Roger, that clip will premiere tomorrow. Cory Booker, who's supposed to be part of the African-American community, meeting with APAC and trying to help them, teach them how to recruit black people. Like this is just, and they're just like, well, well, how, do we get, how do we get the black people? And I'm like, yo, first of all, leave us the fuck alone. We are 13% of the population, okay? We are very small. Very, very small. You don't see them asking, well, how do we get the Latino people? That is the larger minority population in the United States. No, they're trying to get the, get the black people. Everybody want us to come over to their side. But when it come down to black issues and black situations in this country, they never willing to come over to our side. And one thing I will say is this, when it comes to the Palestinian people, they understood the black struggle for a long time. So I've had to educate a lot of people about this. I had to explain to people how a lot of the black revolutionary leaders that black people praise, the same people who were telling me, we shouldn't deal with this, this is not our issue, this is not a black issue. Those same black revolutionary leaders that you praise understood the plight of the Palestinian people and stood with the Palestinian people. That includes Malcolm X, MLK, that includes Angela Davis, even though she a little whack now, but that includes a lot of those people, Kwame Ture. So, you know, so it's like, this goes to show you again what I've said before. The education system in this country in particular, especially in the public school system, has completely failed us when it comes to history in this country, especially when it comes to African-American history. The fact that you would limit our history to one month out of the year when there's so much to learn about what happened to the plight of black people in this country. This is why a lot of people don't know this. A lot of people don't know that there's a statue of Nelson Mandela in, in, in Palestine. That's actually in Ramadan. A lot of people don't know that because they don't teach you this shit in school. They don't even tell you the truth about Dr. King or MLK in, in the history textbooks in school. And I know because I worked in education. So, well, aren't they trying to change, uh, what was it in Florida? Um, slavery is not slavery. It was forced relocation is their new term they're trying to use. But that's nothing new because in Texas for years, they have been teaching that slavery had nothing to do with the Civil War. They had already started teaching this in Texas. And that they was that goes to... back to uh, Gone with the Wind in the in the in the thirties. That's that's not new in that regard. Uh, but right. to your point like about they, uh, they want about to the... they basically want to whitewash our history when it comes to black people. They want to whitewash our history in this country. But when it comes to other groups, they'll tell you more than they'll tell what happened to the black people. So we learned about the Holocaust in school. But when it came to learning about slavery, and I'm gonna keep it real, unless you went to a black school, if you talk to people that went to like an all black school, they learned a lot more about the details of slavery than those of us that went to the mixed schools and those of us that went to white schools. Because they didn't teach me in school how they 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 ripped the babies from the, the mother's womb 
and sold them. I knew they sold the babies. They didn't tell us how they actually ripped the babies from the mother's womb. They cut the babies out. They didn't want to get too graphic when it came to African-American history in this country, but they were totally fine getting too graphic when it came to the Holocaust. So again, it is to downplay the struggle of what happened to African-Americans in this country so that you don't think that we owe African-Americans something. And this is very important. What we have to remember is that there are other groups in this country that have received some, some sort of reparations. The Japanese Americans in the internment camps, they received cash reparations. Ronald Reagan signed off on it. But when we ask for cash reparations today, people say, no, 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 don't do that. That's divisive. You didn't think it was divisive when it happened under Ronald Reagan? Well, when it happened to another group? Actually, it's funny you bring up Reagan. So real quick, bring into Cory Booker. Cory Booker is the uh, third largest recipient of APAC money. That's, mm -hmm. that's why he's, he's a huge person. Uh, on Israel, it's, as there, I live in New Jersey. There is not a large, um, you know, pro-Zionist movement. It's just that he's one of the largest recipients of APAC money. But uh, to anyone who wants to get a good in uh, feel a uh, point about uh, about the black about why African Americans relate to Palestinians, uh, uh, was it, uh, Mark Lamont? Am I saying that right? Mark Lamont. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He he did a great um, conversation on the Breakfast Club. When they were asking him, like, well, why is this so important to you? And he's like, well, how is this not important to you if you understand our religious leaders? And I mean, our, our, our spiritual leaders like Malcolm X, like Mandela. And it was a really, really educational point. I mean, because somebody was like, well, are they, aren't, they're not really occupying them. And he's like, right. That's like pulling the prison guards out of Rikers. You're still in Rikers, but hey, there's no guards there. So you're not really occupying them. You know, that's you, right. You know, it, and I was like, that's the best uh, uh, meta uh, metaphor I've ever heard. Uh, sorry, I was. Uh, I wish I could have. Um, I saw that interview. I watched the whole thing. I wish I could have played that on um, on YouTube. Unfortunately, I can't because Breakfast Club has copyright. Yeah. Um, there was something I was going to say about the. Uh, oh God, I lost my train of thought on the educational point you were making. Um, no, it'll come to me later. Uh, damn, was good. What I was gonna make a, a funny thing was uh, I found it hilarious that Medi got bumped from MSNBC. I'm like, why is anyone remotely surprised that was gonna happen? Mm -hmm. I, I'm 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 genuinely asking. Like they 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 fired Phil Donahue for speaking out against oh the Breakfast Club, yeah. Um, whatever they were they fired uh, Phil Donahue for speaking out against the Iraq War. They bought Jesse Ventura's con a three year contract out because he was gonna speak out against the Iraq War. Uh, they uh, let Ed Schultz go because he spoke about Bernie Sanders. And I'm like, what made you think that, you know, you were going to have this chance to uh, to to speak out? I, I hate to tell you, Matty, but you were just a checkbox for MSNBC's diversity hire because they were like, look, look, we're not we're not one sided. That's right. That's all you were, man. I, I, I don't know what you thought was going to be different. I just thought it was funny when people were like, can you believe I'm like, yeah, I, I, I knew that would happen. I was I was just counting the days until that happened. Yeah, um, it didn't surprise me. Again, um, you know, they basically demoted him. And I'm just kind of like, this is what happens when you try to defend. And he, and he shilled for them big time. Oh, try massively. To try to for them. Massively. It was embarrassing to watch.
Oh, oh, now I remember what I was going to go back to. You were mentioning Reagan. You know what was funny about Reagan? I don't know if you saw this. This was in the news a while ago. But in uh, when when Israel was bombing Lebanon in the 80s, uh, Reagan, Reagan, of all people, who is not any stretch of the imagination, we should call somebody favoring peace, he called up Israel and said, you have to stop this. This is genocidal level what you're doing in Lebanon. And yeah, I, and I I, I I reported that. I reported that. And what was interesting is someone sent me an email and said, that's not true. He didn't do that. I'm like, bitch, Google it's it and look it up. It's yeah, everywhere. It's, it's his, he literally wrote in his memoir. The very next day it stopped. And I was he said, I was shocked at the amount of power the U.S. wields yep. on, on Israel. It's because we give them billions of dollars. George Bush Sr. conditioned aid to Israel on on, on stopping the settlements. This idea yep. like, oh, well, what is Biden going to do? You tell him directly, stop, or we stop the aid. It's that simple. It, it, but, you know, why we do it is because this is our largest foothold in the Middle East. If, if Let's say tomorrow, if there wasn't an Israel, what leverage do we have on the Middle East? What's our foothold? We have some bases, sure, but we don't have that kind of, like, control work. I mean, it's through proxy wars, no different than Ukraine. When Syria was undergoing the, the dirty war via the CIA proxy groups, Israel funded a large uh, portion of those those groups. This is just the is, is a, Biden said it best. If there wasn't an Israel, we would build an Israel today. He said yep. that in, in 93, 94, something like that. But uh, this idea of like, oh, what can Biden do? You pick up the phone and say, stop. That's it. And if he thinks, well, I won't win election, like, my man, you're going to lose very badly. You're definitely going to lose Michigan. That's, that's he's hemorrhaging votes. I don't you, know. What he, sorry, go ahead. What what I thought was peculiar in a funny kind of way is Biden said if Israel didn't exist, we would have to create one. Well, if you go back beyond 1948, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> there was no Israel. It was created. Yep. So he just rearticulated what the reality of the situation really is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's that's the problem today. And so why is it that they're having they have to pass these laws? I mean, all you have to do is go back when they said, all right, well, we're going to do boycott and divestment. The Israeli government said, oh, this is nothing. Then they start passing laws state by state, even though it's, it's unconstitutional. You know, Abby Martin had a huge problem with that. Yep. They, I mean, they conditioned aid after a hurricane. I think it was in Texas. To people to say, oh, you want aid? No problem. Just sign this uh, form here that says you'll never boycott uh, Israel. Yep. That is talking about salt in somebody's wound when they're down. But you know what? I see, you know, I have a lot of hope in the younger generation. I really do. And I advised a lot of these kids and they are just on a different level. Like they really are. They are definitely more aware than I was when I was in college. Oh, yeah. Um, I was just did not you, paying attention uh, to something. Did you hear that? Sorry, did you hear that ADL um, leaked audio about uh, what their problem is? I did not. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it, um, Katie Halper, she'll have a short on it. There's a leaked audio of uh, the head of the ADL, and he says, we have a serious uh, PR campaign and has nothing to do with the left or the right, Democrat or Republican. What it has to do with is old and young. And the young generation does not support Israel at all. We have a serious TikTok problem. And then he was suggesting like, oh, we, you know, all the people who created these softwares have to step up because we we cannot get young people to side with Israel. Yep. 
That's the head of the ADL saying this stuff. I mean, you have, yeah, exactly what you said. I didn't learn about this level of detail about the Israeli-Palestine conflict until senior of high school. And I'm Arab. And I didn't learn about this stuff. And you got people who are younger than me giving me detail lessons. I'm like, God damn, I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have hope in the younger generation. And uh, as far as Kissinger living to 100, I mean, hell, make a deal with the devil. You can live to be 100. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, good God, that, that guy just kept going on and on. Oh, man. Oh, man. Let's bring in the Tory. Natori, what's up? Hello. Hello, Natori. I didn't know you wore glasses. I see the picture. New picture. <laughs> yes. I'm blind. I want to talk about Elon and Anthony Blinken. Because oh, yesterday I got some shit. Yes, because I told the truth. And I already knew. Like, I do push, push it up there on um, Twitter. But it's not... I don't go as far as other bitches go. And so I said something and brung up like paper what he used to do. And they um they um blocked my page, my Twitter page, they blocked it and said it was violence. What? Mm-hmm. They said it was violence and um they blocked me for eleven hours and then it said it was gonna um like shut my account down, but it it just um came back up there so it was just crazy but i already knew you know i was just waiting for them to do it because i actually add people i don't talk around it i add them like people in power and i'm i don't know if they might be watching me but I, like i said i think i hit the nerve of anthony blinken because Soon as um I put it up there, it got me fast, and I couldn't text no more last night until like eleven, like ten, eleven this morning. Anthony Blinken always has this look on his face, like he did some shit in the past, and he's afraid it's gonna catch up to him. He always got that look on his face. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry that can- happened to you, Tory. Yeah, and it's like what I see with all these, like it's just it pisses me off because I'm not. It's not shocking to me, but I get pissed off a lot because I see what other people and people that's even in power, what they say about black people and what they what they say about everybody that ain't white. Like, I love, I don't know why I have to say this, but I feel like I got to shout it to the, like, I don't know why, but it's like I love white people. I love everybody, but they are sought in these high power places. But why the fuck do we have to, it feel like we have to teach them and I get tired of it. Like, why is y'all in power? Y'all supposed to know it all. I feel like they put there in the gaslight people. Ooh. That's a very good point, Natori. And very then I realized too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I do realize. I do realize when they say the economy is good and like um Joe Biden them be like the economy is good work. I feel like they talking about their donors. They not talking about the people. Cause I'm like, why is y'all saying this when shit is still high? People still struggling, but yet this money just appearing in um, Ukraine and Israel. No, those are all good points. Those are all good points. 
No, I totally hear you, man. I um, you know, and and this is why I've said before, like some people don't want to talk about it because they're afraid they may lose viewers if they talk about it. I'm like, if you lose viewers, then it is what it is. But the thing is, is that we cannot sit up here and pretend like, you know, we, we don't have certain issues, not just globally, but particularly in this country. And the reason why I, I thought about it, I was like, should I cover the story about Julian and Margulies? And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna cover it. The reason why I chose to cover that story is because I wanted people to hear how black people are talked about in other spaces. I wanted people to hear that by other groups that consider themselves to be a certain type of minority. I wanted people to hear that. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's the thing. That's what we're up against. Nobody in Congress fights this hard for black people. Nobody, none of them, not even the black politicians, none of them do. Mm-hmm. Every other group is put before us every time. And this is why I, I constantly say to people and people say, oh, don't talk about race and da da da, whatever, just focus on class. We talk about, I talk about class, but you cannot sit up here and pretend like we don't have an issue with race in this country, and we do. What pissed me off about it is that bitch, I'm black. It's like I, I, it's like Democrats hijack the identity shit. But fuck all that, because anybody with a brain know that um we are fucking black. We can't help what they attach to. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. It's like every time somebody says something, even with y'all, when y'all talk about black issues, it's like ooh, don't say shit. Like what the fuck is we a secret? I feel like black people is a secret, mm-hmm. still kick to the back and don't want, oh, don't talk about that. You lose your audience. Fuck them people. That's what pisses me off because I see, I do like these. I don't watch them like that. I'm not going to name no names. I don't watch them like that, but I see it and I don't say nothing, but I listen to how they talk about everybody else. But then they hush when it comes to black um issues or don't say shit about it. But this is why and I'm talking about progressive and I'm talking about so-called progressives and socialists, people we think this on our side, but really not. They want us when I'm talking about they want us when it's time for their cause, but when it's time to push something for us, it's oh sh we don't want to talk about that. Or I see when people talk about it, they get less likes. When I talk about it, I get no likes at all. When I talk about black issues, but if I talk about COVID, oh motherfuckers down for that. I got, I got, I went viral. I had a tweet that went viral recently. I'm going to share it on Sunday because I called out Chuck Schumer and I was basically saying, see how fast they can move to help other groups. But when it comes to black people, they just push us to the side. This is something that like people really need to pay attention to. And not just obviously not just because I am black, but it's something that's very noticeable. And I feel like progressive media has failed on this issue. They failed on addressing this issue and partially because most of the people in progressive media for the longest time have been white men. For the longest time have been a white men. Before RBN, who did you have? You had Nico and you had Tim Black. Other than that, who did you have? And, and Jamal Thomas, but Jamal Thomas switched the radio. What, what, who did you have? Like, it just, it, you know, and then 
there were things that I felt like should have been said that weren't said. So I said to myself, look, I can get mad at these, the people that have these shows or I can start it myself. Um, going back to the music, Mm -hmm. I want to take you back before Michael it's just Michael weird oh, it's sorry. just weird oh, oh, can you hear me yeah we, we can hear you sorry I don't know what happened there um going back to the music for a second before you know like when Michael Jackson said uh Jumi Sumi you know whatever whatever go back to Public Enemy's second album where they ended up being pressured to kick Professor Griff out the group. We're talking around that 1988-89 thing where he made a comment about uh, Jews, something about uh, Jews and jewelry and coming from the Caucasus Mountains, something like that. I forgot what it was. Um, you'd have to like do a little Google on that or whatever the case is. But um, they was like the first ones to get hit, you know, like in the music industry. And, and Leo Cohen was getting hit hard because he had people calling him up or telling him he's a bad Jew. Leo Cohen was like, uh, um, was like under uh, Russell Simmons at Def Jam in case, you know, anybody didn't know, whatever the case was. I'm pretty sure Rick Rubin, who actually started Def Jam was probably getting hit, hit also. But um, also going back to the, the Cory Booker thing and what the guy who was, who was on here before, and you used to talk about the young people, so on and so forth. Um, so these, like when, when, uh, cause I didn't get, cause what do you call it? When he was trying to get, say, Hey, I'm going to try to figure out how to get black people to get on board with you guys with, with, you know, uh, uh, being Zionist and all that different type of stuff. Um, when he was talking about, you know, going to the colleges and stuff like that, here, here's the thing. Um, What's going to happen when they when when they stop going to college because they don't want to uh, get hit with student debt? OK, that's one. Yep. I assume he's probably going to talk about pointing them to HBCUs. So, all right, well, that's another whatever the case is. Um, like you said, media is democratized now and now they're going into a panic because, the, you know, just like you just said, the ADL guy was just like, oh, this is a generation thing. We can't do anything. Right. Another thing is this, it's not just that, it's not just that information is democratized, but it's also the fact that not as many people, especially from our community are going to church anymore because they see, you know, the pimps in the pulpit and that whole right. different type that's going on. So that's where you get the most Christian Zionism in, in, um, in our, in our community. A lot of them are becoming secular. Um, not necessarily atheist, whatever, but but secular. Um, I went to a uh, late, earlier this summer. I went to a, a protest. You know, a little protest. We went to the county seat. Uh, the, the, the county seat is what you call the capital of a county, and we was protesting a um, uh, uh, like uh, rent is too damn high, or homelessness, or something like that, right? And one of the one of the older reverends was there with us, right? He's an older gentleman, whatever the case is. And he was on the mic and we was talking about, you know, like, yeah, the, the rent and whatever, whatever. And out of nowhere, he said, injustice for Israel. I was like, whoa, what's this? What the hell is, <laughs> huh? What? It was 
like, I was looking around like, did I come to the right protest? Where did this come from? But he was just like, so that's when I really started noticing that. I mean, and that was just recently because, you know, I haven't been to church since, you know, who knows when or whatever the case was. But um, the, 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 what is it? The, the other thing was, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much, you know, what it is, is that they're in a panic because now, hey, not to me. Oh, 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 can you, can you hear me? Did I go out? Yeah, no, I, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Since not, so they lost that um, feed of black people that they used to get when they was going to the church. Because where do politicians usually go when they want the black vote? There's two places. When they want the elder vote, they go to the black church. When they want the young vote, they go to some hip hop media somewhere. You see what I'm saying? And, yep. and usually the hip hop media, it's usually a little bit more, um, a little bit more street savvy where they know, um, you know, it's like, ah, we can smell some bullshit when you, when you come in with it from or whatever. So when they send these, all right, so let's say they get the, uh, they get like these, these, uh, black leaders out of college. That's all Zionists and whatnot. They try to come back to the community. Hey, nobody's going to listen to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, what are you talking about? You know, cause like those days are over with if, of you guys choosing our leaders. You know what I mean? We don't live in that, that world anymore. So they're not, really gonna fall for it you know when you oh i sent you oh, i think i sent you i forgot but that i saw that cory booker documentary when it first came out i think i sent it to you i forgot but i saw I, that before okay so do you remember when mayor sharp james was saying yo who's this guy who came out inside the community who who, who sent you yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And he was like very I'm not saying that Sharp James was, you know, on the money or whatever, but I hear from what I the current mayor, Raz Baraka, I think he's I you know, from what I know and I think he's doing pretty well. I don't know until someone tells me different. In case anybody don't know who Raz Baraka is, he's the son of I think he's late now, Amara Baraka. The he's like he's like a black civil rights leader from the black liberation movement in the in the early 70s he was he you know he was kind of like behind until he wasn't behind Shirley Chisholm you know and so on and so forth you know she was from Brooklyn and whatever the case is right and um yeah so they're gonna have a tough time with this one we're in the 21st we're in a new century now we're in a new millennium okay so things are gonna start changing you know, things are not going to be rolling the way they used to roll like they used to roll before, you know. And I believe, uh, uh, Notori, you have been, I, I've infected you with the, the Phil Scott videos. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What's going on, Sean? Not much, Sabby. It's been a while, but thank you for taking my call. What happened to your voice? Who are you? Who am I? What do you mean? Your voice sounds different. Oh. It sounds well, deep now. Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I have two topics that I guess I want to touch on. Uh, Sam, the last caller, made a couple of really good points. But um, the discussion that we were having about uh, Israel earlier and uh you know the jews supposedly having all this power 
Um, Sam hit the nail on the head, like right before he, he left. Israel isn't a nation. It's a military outpost for the United States and the United Kingdom. Mm. This is Western imperialism in exchange for an escape from the centuries of oppression that they faced in Europe and not just Germany. Uh, they faced it in England, France, all over Europe. And all the money that we send them isn't just so they can bomb Palestinians. It's to enforce imperialism in Africa and Arabia where there's a ton of mineral wealth. There's a ton of oil, natural gas, all that stuff. And it's hugely important to maintaining a military the size that we have. I mean, I think we have like 20 aircraft carriers or something like that. Um, all those tanks and planes and all that stuff. And, you know, they obviously are in competition to, <clears throat> to provide, <clears throat> to provide natural gas to, um, to Europe, Germany specifically. They just found, well, that there's a lot of natural gas in Gaza. So it's just kind of funny how, um, after they blow up Nord Stream 2 and Germany needs all this natural gas that they just so happen to go to war with Palestine. Um, I do think it was a false flag, personally. Um, I think that the United States empire and Western imperialism has never been under greater threat. And, uh, you know, I think that the Jews have, or I shouldn't say the Jews, the Zionists in Israel have always known that um, they'll end up like Ukraine is right now the minute they outlive their usefulness to the West. Mm -hmm. Precisely the reason why they're so violent and they're so vicious. No. Um, I, I think you guys describe it perfectly when you talk about it as, you know, what it is. It's, it's just really, it's, it's really sad. Um, the other point I wanted to make, and I'm really glad that you were talking about integration on your show today. So I'm not off topic, but, um, <laughs> that's going to be the next front on this, uh, world war of imperialism you see those those countries in latin america and south america mexico in particular who are you know in the process of of nationalizing their resources they're thinking about joining BRICS, and now all of a sudden there's a push to uh, militarize the border and i was Deeply, deeply, deeply disappointed. I was watching the Jimmy Dore live show <clears throat> before I, uh, I joined your show. And Keaton and Russell and Jimmy were, were using the oppression of United States workers and fake liberal concern um, to justify or to manufacture consent 
to militarizing the border. They say, well, we can't have an open border. So what does that mean? The only thing that that could possibly mean is building a a border wall and militarizing the border. And I mean, it's not complicated. Like Iran Contra showed us who controls the cartels. Um, it's the CIA. It's it's how it's how the United States. I mean, you look at the uh, the the banana republics. Um, that's how they controlled those governments down there through organized crime. Whitney Webb um, goes into this at great great length, much better than I could. But I think it's a serious problem. I I think we have to confront this. It is absolutely unacceptable and untenable to advocate for border militarization. There's no, there's, there's no excuse for it. What we as leftists and post-duopolis advocate for is dismantling the CIA, dismantling militarism, dismantling uh, imperialism. Wait, so you're saying, I just want to make sure I get this right because I didn't, I didn't see it. You're saying that they were calling for militarizing the border? Um, no, they were, they're weasels. So they didn't say it directly like that. Um, they were just talking about, you know, they were just fear mongering over the border, talking about like the same bullshit talking points that RFK has about the border about how dangerous it is and how they care about the immigrants that are trying to get over and they care about the workers who are losing their jobs and stuff and, you know, advocating for, uh, for they're saying we can't have an open border. I mean, so what does that mean? So it means you want more ice means you want more border militarization. It means you want a border wall. I mean, that's like, it, it was a really sneaky, dirty trick that they played. And um, we we have to watch out for the ramping up of militarism on the border because that is the next front in the world war of imperialism. We need that lithium. Venezuela is probably going to be targeted next. They have oil. Um, this is getting real. The United States and the West are they've never been under greater threat than this. China and Russia are, I mean, the the whole empire is in revolt, whether it's, you know, South America, Latin America, Africa. And I mean, we're looking, we're, we're going to be, there could be boots on the ground over there. I mean, it's serious. There's already boots on the ground at the border. Joe Biden sent thousands of troops over there. So I think that this needs to be confronted Um, I just came away from that stream thinking that all three of those guys were fucking weasels of the highest order. And, um, I want to hear him answer to that. I want to hear what they, what, what it means to them to say, we can't have an open border. What are you trying to say when you're making that argument? Cause they made all this fucking flowery bullshit about, how much they cared about the people. Well, the answer to that is 
Stop overthrowing their governments. Stop stealing their resources. Stop terrorizing them. Stop funding organized crime to, to terrorize them. I mean, like, this is simple. We know this as, as leftists. Hmm. Well, I would have to see, I didn't see it. So I would have to see that for myself. Yeah, I mean, I figured you didn't see it. You were probably prepping for your own show, but um, this needs to be addressed. Yeah. That I mean, you can't be a little bit imperialist. Yeah. So just FYI, for people who may not be aware, I don't usually get to watch other people when they're live. I'm usually doing something else. Um, so I usually, a lot of times I'll see things. Can you mute for just a second, uh, Sean, there's an echo. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, I'll just, and I'll come back. Um, so I usually catch things after the fact, like that. that is one thing I will say. I usually don't get to see people when they're live, um, unfortunately. So it's, it's different when like you're doing this. Like I used to be able to do that, but then I have other things going on as well. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen it. So, I mean, I would have to see that. You know, I feel like the biggest thing comes down to who who's the focus on, you know, and if, if they're starting to have this focus on immigration as a problem, you know, it's, you know, then you, you're, you're almost like putting the blame on, on workers and immigrants. Whereas, you know, I, I keep saying our, our focus needs to be, you know, truly upward, really punching up and, and keeping our focus, you know, on, on the, the billionaires and the mega corporations where the power is and on their corrupt servants, you know, our so-called representatives. And if they're talking about all this stuff and not bringing that up, you know, then to me, that's the real problem. Um, I just want to say, uh, I don't really care who, you, who, what personality you're a fan of. I call it like I see it. When somebody is is manufacturing consent for war at the border. I, I'm going to call it out. I I, I didn't hear Eric say anything door. about a fan. Oh, no, 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 no. Not Eric. Eric's a man. Um, it, it was in the chat. Uh, gamer wow. is a Jimmy Dorsey. I wouldn't say that, but, but there were a number of people in the chat um, kind of raising questions about exactly what was said, but it's not something we can really adjudicate here unless we listen to the clips. So. Yeah. But, uh, well, I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but that's, that is um, very important. I thank you very much, Sabby, for, uh, for considering, I really hope uh, you and RBN kind of ask about that because. Um, so I don't really. So again, I, I, think, I think I think there's a there's a misunderstanding. I don't really. Oh, there's an echo. I'm sorry. Um, can you mute? I don't, okay. I, I don't, yeah, like, I think, 
So I addressed this before in a, in a call in, I think a couple of weeks ago. I don't really know most people in the space like that. And I think people think that if I had someone on my show or whatever, or I was on their show that I'm like tight with people. I don't know them like that. I really don't. So for me, it's just like, I think what people have to understand is that RBN is a group. And so there, there may be some people in the group that are closer to people, other people than others. Like, for example, you know, like there's people I'm close to that, you know, JB may not be, may not know as well. So we have different, you know, I mean, it's, that's something to keep in mind. So I know for me uh, personally, I talked to, I interviewed do dissidents. This was like a, this was a while ago. I think this was a couple months ago. Um, and I also went on their show. But other than that, I mean, I don't, that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't know a lot of these people like that in that way. So I think there may be, I think there may be a misunderstanding that I'm closer to some of these people than people realize. Go ahead, Roger. So did you get the latest news regarding Juliana Margalila, whatever her name is? It's Margulies, Roger. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, so someone tweeted, this t didn't take long. Juliana M. apologizes for comments about Black community amid Israel-Hamas war. The actress says she is horrified that her statements, including that Black people may have been brainwashed to hate Jews, caused offense. Juliana M., is apologizing for comments made about the black community amid the Israeli Hamas war, stating that she is horrified that her remarks. I'm horrified by the quote. I'm horrified by the fact that statements I made on a recent podcast offended the black and LGBT alphabet communities. Communities I truly love and respect. Marg end quote. Margulies said in a statement provided to EW. Um, I'm not sure what that is. Beginning quote. I want to be 100% clear. Racism, homophobia, sexism, or any prejudice against anyone's personal beliefs or identity are abhorrent to me. Full stop. Throughout my career, I have worked tirelessly to combat hate of all kind and anti-Semitism. Speak out against terrorist groups like Hamas and forge a united front against discrimination. Oh, quote. fuck that bitch. Because the thing is, is this, whether oh, she apologized, or rather oh, she apologized. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. End, end quote. The actress added, beginning quote, I did not intend for my words to show further division for which I am sincerely apologetic. End quote. And then someone said, apology not accepted. All right, go ahead. <laughs> no, because the thing is, whether she apologized or not, She's not horrified by what she said. Guys, that's that's ex that what what she said on that podcast, that was that's who she is. That's exactly what she meant. That's how she feels. She only taking it back because she's getting criticism and she's getting attacked. But that's that's who she is and that's what she actually believes. So fuck that. Go ahead, Noel. And Sorry. Part, you know, I was 
brimming to speak to that wench. But here's the thing. Not only did she speak to and show us who she really is, she said a lot of the quiet parts out loud. And it was just not so much the language which was foul. It was the tenor. It was the way she expressed it. It was the indignation and utter outrage she expressed that really told you how she really feels about black people. And it goes to that broader point that you're nobody. And we have done these things, this and that. And how dare you? How dare you not be where I need you to be or where I want you to be? How dare you think you can think for yourself? That was the piece. And then when she laid into the um, LGBTQ part and this and that, that was just gratuitous ad hominem attack. I'm like, girl, what are you? You just all over the place. But it was the, the utter indignation that she was expressing and the way she said it that told the real story. And it's like uh, Maya Angelou said once, people may forget what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And it was the way she expressed herself that made you feel like dirt. Like, who are you? But here's my thing for all the talking that she talked about. Oh, you know, Jews march with the the black people during civil rights and this and that. And I'm thinking, bitch, Jews also own the ships that brought a lot of Africans over here for the enslavement. Where's the discourse about that? And while you talking about marching for civil rights, in as much as your people have been able to secure reparations for the atrocities and crime against humanity that they suffered in Germany, you would think the Jewish population in this country would have championed and been on the front lines for talking about securing reparations for the descendants of American slavery. But see, that's again, this is a part of, like I say, you can't have the discussion and we can be called blacks. The Hispanics can be called Hispanics or Latinos and everybody can be grouped. But when you come to that group, and I understand there is a difference between Zionist and not all Zionists are Jewish and not all Jews are Zionists. I understand that that segregation in terminology, but you cannot ever discuss Jews and what Jews have done. And it's not all about in pursuit of Zionism. I'm talking about Jews and how they have moved through the economy and the things that they have done and the the detriment that other groups have suffered because of the way they have moved in these leadership positions as the magnates of industry. Like I say, when we talk about what has happened to the Africans who were enslaved and their descendants, we talk about it in black, white. We never break it down into those subgroups because we also realize that the Azakanazi Jews in particular are white supremacists sometimes too, and they can hide behind their whiteness and not get called out. But there is a discussion that needs to be had. You know, and the truth needs to be discussed. And just like, you know, we make issues about, well, not all blacks are this and that. 
there's a difference between blacks who descended from slavery and blacks who are the result of immigrants here from other nations and this and that. Why can't we have those other discussions? It becomes taboo. And I'm saying there is a truth there. And if you stand on the truth, you can tower over the circumstances. But she was just foul beyond foul. But she spoke. She was the drunk man that spoke a clear mind. And that's what made what she said so repulsive because, you know, she was coming from a real space when she said it. And now she wants to rush out after she probably listened to it and got called out on the carpet. Oh, let me apologize, this and that. But, you know, we're no puppets. And the thing about it is the reason the descendants of slaves and other blacks have a type of connectivity to the Palestinian cause is apparent because oppressed people understand oppression. And we know oppression when we see it. And so if Israel, to the degree that it was created, is a settler colonialist project, it mirrors what this country did to the indigenous. And bringing Africans over as a means of free labor is just a part of that colonialism. And so these things need to be discussed in those framings. So it's not just, well, why aren't the blacks following our dictates or why aren't the blacks just jumping in line? It's because the blacks have been oppressed and they see it for what it is. And so it's no need for you to speculate why we feel the way you do. We do. And if you want to know, you need to ask somebody. That's my thing. That statement from Juliana Margulies was was horrible. And, and you have a good point there, Noel. The thing is, is this. Juliana Margulies dug her own grave. And my thing is, let's look at the comparison. I bet you she's still signed to her agency, but Susan Sarandon has been dropped from hers. And what that shows you is that in this country, you can criticize black people and still keep what you got. You, you still going to be employed. You still going to be, even the guy who, um I forget his name, Roger might remember, might remember. Remember the guy that the the basketball owner, the guy that was caught on tape calling black people the N-word and then he was removed or whatever from that position. That guy was already rich. It's not like he can't go get a job somewhere else. Like, but that that's the thing. You can say these things about black people. You can treat black people in such a way in this country and you can still be okay like financially. They're not destroying your entire life and your entire career. And just look at the comparison between Donald Sterling. Yes, thank you so much. Someone said it in the chat. Look at the comparison between Susan Sarandon and Juliana Margulies. First of all, I the only thing I knew about Juliana is that she was on ER. That was it. I didn't even know she was still acting, okay? So to me, Juliana, I didn't even know who the hell, I didn't even know you were still doing something, until this incident took place, okay? So so there's that. And then two, the other thing is, she showed you exactly what she thought about black people when she said, we are less than, we are less than. She showed her whole ass, people. And this is what I said before about people who are white adjacent, they can still use that card when they need to. And that's what she did. And for her to suggest what I took particular offense when she was talking about the filming that the black lesbians had and how she took offense to that and then said, well, how dumb are you? 
you're nothing because first of all, you're a lesbian and then you're black or whatever yep. order she put those two demographics in. But she was showing you that in her mind, there is a ranking. There is a set of ordinals of who's on top. And in her mindset, the blacks, and if you are a black LGBT person, oh, you are just dirt. And the saddest thing of all is the way this society operates. She was exactly right about that part. She said the the quiet part out loud. Yep. The black people in this society, as I have said countless times, especially the descendants of slaves, are pegged to the bottom of the society. And to the degree that you are not of that hetero, heteronormative um, ordinal or organization, you are at, you are even worse. You're even further at the bottom. You're the bottom of the bottom. And that part she is right about in terms of the reality. But that was the source of her indignation. It's like, you filth. What are you? You need to be getting in line because you know you're the bottom of the bottom. That's what she was saying. Yeah, she did. That's exactly what she did. You know what made it worse is when she said that she was more offended by the LGBTQ part. And she was like, because I play one on TV. Girl, like to me, I'm just like, so because you play an LGBTQ, LGBTQ person, you know what it's like to be LGBTQ? Get out of here. No, what she was really saying is, I'm even more offended because I perceive them as even being less than plain old heterosexual blacks. I see you as being even worse off than them. That's why she was putting the ordination in place. Fucking went. Oh, Noelle, I've never heard you this way. I've never heard you this way. That was, what? Let me apologize that for that because when I come here, I come to share views and opinions and it's to further the discourse. But in, in light of who I am as a person, as a woman of trans experience and black, it, it resonates with me when I hear people say what I am experiencing on a daily basis. I have been silenced. I have been overlooked. I have been canceled in this situation. And it's because people like her see people like me the way they do. And it's a whole lot of people who are in alignment with it. And they're not just all Jewish or white. That includes black people. And that's what makes it so hurtful. We could not be as black people of LGBTQ experience at the very bottom without some participation from our other black people. And like, and you know, I keep saying this, Sabrina, but I'm going to get that information to you. But I want to be able to give it to you in a way that it frames itself so that you don't have to go through a lot trying to figure out, well, how do I tell this story? But I, once I figure out the way to approach it, I am going to connect with you because this, like I said in my com public comments to the Cleveland City Council, the facts don't change and the truth never grows old. I just this this thing has been so pervasive that I have to figure out a perspective of the narrative so that people can find their way into the understanding of what has got me just so disparaged. But but her comments just resonated with me at a different level where you want to step up into somebody's face and be like, B, you need 
to settle down? Um, I just want to say thank you for taking my call. And I want to implore everyone to please don't forget about uh, about the Western Hemisphere, because that is the next front in the world war of imperialism. And I wanted to say, uh, what's up to Case Study QB, MutualAidParty.com. I hope that's going well, man. I really uh, love and appreciate all the work that you do, bro. And with that, I will say goodnight to you all. Thank you very much. Savvy, you forget to unmute again. Oh, whoops. I was talking the whole time. I was like, let's bring in Darlene. Here comes the cute little poodle. Poodle, what's up, Darlene? Uh-oh. Darlene, I'll, I'll add you as a speaker. Sometimes that fixes it when I invite people to speak. So I added you as a speaker and then just mute and then unmute. See if that works. And unmute. Can you hear me now? I hear you. What's up? Hey, I want to say I was listening to everything you guys were saying. And I'm not, I just got to say, I don't even know who she is, the actress. I know who Susan Sarandon is. So that lady needs to sit down with with her mouth because <laughs> I never watched ER. So I really don't know who she is. <laughs> Oh, oh boy. no! I had to say, I wanted to say thank you for mentioning that uh, Dr. West and uh, Norm Finkelstein are going to be in New York because I live in New York. So I looked it up and I'm going to hopefully get to go see them. And because it said this tickets are almost sold out. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I oh, didn't yeah, think they because were... That place that if I remember correctly, I think that place is really small. So okay. they only have a limited amount of space. Gotcha. All right. So after I'm going to purchase my ticket, hopefully I can get there because it's at five o'clock. So I said, okay, I'm going to go see them because I have to say lately I've been standing out on Norm Finkelstein. (laughs) I've watched so many videos of him. Oh, he should definitely be on the Housewives of New York because I seen him (laughs) on one podcast. He knows how to read. He can read for filth. The way he took he 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 read uh Ben Shapiro and uh um what the hell the Smooley guy. He the I forgot what he said, but it was just it was it was definitely shade you would get on the housewives. I was like, go norm. <laughs> <laughs> could you guys imagine I don't know if everyone watches the real housewives, but for those of you that do, could you imagine if Norm Finkelstein was one of the spouses on Real Housewives? <laughs> And it was the reunion episode. You know, I have a question. Does anybody know whether or not Norm Finkelstein is heterosexual or not? Because he does have a sassiness to him that I have seen in certain gay men. I mean, and like you say, he can reach you for points, filth and dust. (laughs) 
And he has such a dry way of doing it. You know, the thing that I have to say I love about Dr. Finkelstein is he has such a dry presentation and he is so tortured in his speaking. And I and now I do let me say and be clear, I respect the torture in his presentation because I know it comes from a real place after having labored for the majority of his career to unravel and present this situation in Palestine in a very humane way, especially given his background as being the son of people who survived the Holocaust. So I understand and the backlash that he has received from the establishment. So I appreciate that his presentation is tortured because I, I believe in his own way he has really been tortured in just trying to speak this truth and he's paid a tremendous price for it. But baby, he can reach you, come up, come down, eat the whole plate and leave no crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. And I and when I read all the comments of what people say, and like I said, everything has been very positive. So I was happy to hear. And I think he's being vindicated now because he's right on a lot of the things he's he's been saying. And, you know, he has a lot of people who are, be, who, who are listening to him and behind him, even though he is dry. I will definitely say that. <laughs> oh, man. But the one other thing I noticed because I was listening this morning to your um your um interview with uh I've a Ritter this morning and it was really interesting and it had me thinking you know what everything that's going on with um with the squad with APAC and them putting money in to get rid of all of them and you know for me it don't make a difference because they don't do nothing but I have to say what is the matter with all of them like. Wouldn't you put an ad together or go against APAC? Like, they're trying to take you out, so why not? Like, the way they said Russia interfered in our elections. Why aren't you screaming to the top of the lungs that the APAC is trying to uh, interfere in elections? Like, I don't understand how you, how you can't see where your power could be all of this time. It's just like, I, don't, I just don't understand it. it, it of what happens, you know, like they're scared of losing it. Yeah, you're scared of losing now because you haven't been behind everybody. No one's going to come out for you. And it's like, well, what did you think was going to happen? I just don't, I, I don't get it because if I was one of them, I would have, I would have put an ad together against APAC, you know, and been like a Russia gate and APAC gate and everything that they do and pointed out and, and, you know, that they, this is the, this is the U.S. government. Why are we letting another country rule our government? And like Britta said, it's the people here. We're not, you know, I don't, they, we all think we can't do something, but I think look, look what happened now. Everybody's in the street and they're talking about Palestine. So people out in the street make a difference. So all of this makes a difference, I hope. If they go. Um, a big a big part of it is the fact that they have already been told not to speak out um, against those organizations. And also, they don't want to lose their seat, so they're trying to be as timid as possible. But you know what? The squad has just been a waste. It's been a waste of time, money, and resources. Um, they're never going to be as vocal as they could be. Otherwise, they'll end up just like Dennis Kucinich or Cynthia McKinney. Also, um, we're having um, Darlene 
there's something going on here in New York where they still did not finish redrawing the legislative districts because they keep getting it wrong. Um, oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. So now, okay, so a little, little bit, tiny bit of history, right? So the Democrats, uh, the, state, the, the state lawmaker Democrats, right, they were supposed to let the bipartisan redistricting commission redraw the legislative districts, congressional and their own districts, right? But what happened was, instead of making it independent, where it's just people who've never been in a party or never been in a party for 10 years straight, they, they, make, they made it even, you know, like Republicans, even number of Republican pick people and an even number of Democrat pick people on this uh, redistricting commission that they kept calling independent when it's really bipartisan. So the Democrats, the state lawmakers, they said, fuck it, we'll do it. So what happened was they drew it. I mean, they, you want to talk about gerrymandering. Holy crap. They gerrymandered the shit out of New York State. And it was to the point where the Republicans was like, oh, no. I mean, I know we, we're not that much here, but you ain't just going to run over us like that. So they went and got some judge from upstate, you know, like in, in, New, York, in New York, we call upstate up south because it's like the south. Right. So they got some judge from like upstate to re to say to appoint a special master to redraw the districts. But it's still like not over. That's why we have like. Uh, like Senate District 59 in Manhattan or Astoria, which is in the middle of, it's not even contiguous because most of those districts are upstate, right? But the redrawing of the districts is not over yet. Okay, so there's going to be some type of, uh, I, I was I was reading something about it earlier, but there's going to be some type of um, uh, a shakeup that's going on. So I'm feeling, what I'm thinking of is that maybe that is something that uh, AOC and Jamal Bowman are feeling that they'll, that what that what do you call it will get um, what's that word they'll get legislated out of their uh, districts so they're trying to they're trying to like play nice so that they don't get you know like moved out of their districts or whatever the case was but yeah that's so, that's, that's pretty much what it is but Roger didn't they do that to um What's his name? Monter, Mon, Mondaire Jones? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They, right. And, well, well, that kind of goes to the point then. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't want to become Mondaire Jones and, and you know, and what's his name? That, that other clown uh, that lost his district when he tried to jump in Jamal Bowman's district, uh, Patrick Maloney? Maloney? Yeah. I forgot about him. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that they're like, at least Bowman and, and what's her name? AOC is, is scared shitless of that, pretty much. Uh, oh, matter of fact, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Come on, come on, come on. I found it, I found it, I found it, I found it, I found it. So, New York. Democrats are seeking to have a bipartisan commission redraw the state's congressional maps after attempts to draw more favorable lines for the part. Oh, where'd you go, where'd you go? More uh, favorable lines for the party were botched last cycle, costing them critical seats in the House. Oh, so in case anybody cares, you want to know why, uh, how Republicans took over the House? Because the Democrats in New York State fucked up. Because remember, they have a slim majority, so they ended up gaining two 
the Republicans ended up gaining two or three House uh, seats, right? So anyway, Democrats, things jump. Democrats want the Independent Redistricting Commission to create new House maps. Uh, yeah, to create uh, new House maps so that, um, oh, gee, yeah, yeah. The legal challenge comes after the IRC sought to offer several proposals to for new congressional lines last year. The state legislature ultimately created its own congressional map after the IRC deadlocked and offering a second proposal, but the congressional lines offered by the Democratic-controlled state legislature were tossed out by the state court of appeals and a court-appointed special master ultimately created the House map that would be used in the November midterms. The special master map created several awkward member-on-member -member primaries, including in New York 12th Congressional District between Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler, and then J Mondia Jones was forced to run in the 10th Congressional District after then Rep. Sean Patrick Baloney, who served as the chair of the House Democrat campaign arm, decided to run in the 17th Districts. All three Democrats lost their respective House battles in November, and Republicans flipped a handful of seats in the Empire State to help deliver a narrow GOP victory in the House. And lastly but not least, the State Court of Appeals heard arguments over Democrats' lawsuit for a new House map earlier this month, and a decision is likely to come by the end of the year, according to Spectrum News 1. Wow. Becky. Yeah. And that was my district because uh, Carolyn Maloney was my congressperson, and now I have Jerry Nadler. It's Baloney. Oh, wait, Darlene, it's are you Queens? No, well, I'm I'm in Roosevelt Island, which is part of Manhattan, but I um I'm right next to Queens. Okay. But I yeah, I just think that if they if they, if they just play nice, they're they're stupid for that. That's just stupid. They're not going to be nice to you. They want to get rid of you. You know, it's like fight back. I don't understand them, but I'm not in politics, so thank God. <laughs> Girl, you and me both, right? That's why I told people, people were like, you should run. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> no, I wouldn't last one minute. Even if I were to win, they would be like, you have to pledge some type of allegiance to Israel, which is what Cynthia McKinney said they did to her. They told her she had to pledge allegiance to Israel. They'd be like, you have to pledge some type of allegiance to Israel. I'd be like, bye. I live in America, bitch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Nobody calls that out. Like they, we don't live in Israel. This this is the U.S. Girl, but they all no. go for it. <laughs> hey, Sunny QB. Oh, what's up? What's up, everybody? What's going on? Hey, um, I, I just to, to piggyback on what you're talking about, I was listening to Ryan Grimm was on Bad Faith recently, and he was talking about how like the squad they. Justice Democrats, they all got elected or their group got in there and then they had no plans of getting together and uh, consolidating their votes for a purpose. Like, I think AOC was the only one that kind of floated, you know, having a caucus within the progressive caucus, but that was it. And that's like one of the most disappointing things that I've heard um, that they did it was like, come on, if you, this politics is all, all is all about strategy. And it's all about building coalitions. 
And if you can't do that among your own people with your own similar ideology, how are you supposed to go in there and hopefully get a moderate or, or even a conservative to kind of get to your side of voting for a Medicare for all bill? And like for me, if I was elected, I would talk to a conservative and say, hey, it's a lot cheaper than what we have now and it's better benefits. So that's an example of trying to build coalition. If you can't do that among your own people with the ideology to say, hey, let's force the vote to get somebody that's not um, Nancy Pelosi as speaker. And now recently we saw AOC. She said that once uh, Nancy Pelosi stopped being speaker, now everybody's talking to her now. Like now she's happy because people, she's getting a lot more leeway. Like you could have been to this a cycle yep. ago when you did force the vote, but go ahead, Sabi. No, I was going to say, this is about uh, the book that Ryan Grimm published, right? Yeah, it's coming out soon. I don't know if it came out yet. I already, I'm, I'm definitely going to check that book out. I got the audio. I'm going to get the audio version of it, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say this much. Part of this has to do with the squad. Part of this has to do with Justice Democrats because Justice Democrats, remember, they put, they were the ones that came up with the strategy. They were the ones that said, okay, you guys are all Justice Democrats. But what was very clear to me is that once they won, there was no communication with them after that, right? However, that being said, I saw the interview with Ralph Nader and Bree and Ralph Nader said that he had reached out to the squad multiple times. And from what I understand, there were other people that reached out to them trying to offer help and advice. They Mm -hmm. just didn't want to respond to it. So what does that tell you about them? So I think it's a fault on both sides where Justice Democrats dropped the ball. And Mm -hmm. I felt like the squad also dropped the ball. Yeah. Remember that um, she had as chief of staff um, Charles Chakrabarty, who was one of the founders of uh, Justice Democrat, along with Jake Uger and Kyle Kalinske, she he was his her his chief of staff, and then also Corey Trent, I believe, and they were some of the radical like staffers in her, like around in her circle, and she got rid of them. She fired them because he came out with a tweet saying that um, these moderate Democrats are similar to the Dixiecrats or something like that. And then Nancy, Mama Beer brought her into the principal office, had a conversation with her, and then all of a sudden they got kicked. They're not hired by her anymore. But so, see, these yeah. these people are still attached to billionaire money. That's part of the problem, too. Because yeah. remember, one of the criticisms that came from Justice Democrats was the fact that they decided later on to take billionaire money. Remember, that was something that was revealed when Zineb came on calling, this was like, I think earlier in the year, when Zineb came on here and she, when she used to work with Justice Democrats, they had changed their mind and they decided to take the billionaire money because they needed, they said they needed the money. And so the thing is, a lot of these people are connected. Justice Democrats, I don't think they still are now because I know now like they having financial issues. But at that point in time, they had sold out when they decided to take the billionaire money. And so my thing is, is like, Listen, a billionaire don't come and give you money without some type of something in return. Glenn Greenwald talked about this in reference to the intercept. He said when he started the intercept in the beginning, he really did believe that it was the right idea to get the funding from the billionaire so that he can get the project up and going. Mm-hmm. But, Green, but, but Greenwald, when I the first interview I had with him, I asked him, you know, if he regretted that. And he said that, like, yeah, looking back on it, he said, like, look at what the intercept became. And remember, Mm -hmm. they censored him. 
They censored yeah. him and the whole thing, the intercept was his idea. And then they, who did they censor? The person, censor the person who it was their idea. So they wouldn't let him publish the Hunter Biden livestock story. That's what I'm trying to tell you guys. Like when a billionaire comes to you and say, I want to fund this project, that doesn't come without some type of, you know, restraints. Right. And I'd say the same thing about breaking points. Like, yeah, breaking points there on YouTube. But again, like I said about the subscription model, who is this? Who are the subscribers? Who are the people that there was one time that they put a list of all the people's names? This was earlier on that were part of the, the members subscriptions. And it, there was a guy I cannot find this guy on Twitter anymore. He might got kicked off. I don't know shit. But there was this guy on Twitter. The count was named Renegade something. He made a video on YouTube where he actually blew up that screenshot to show people the names of the people. And he was like, yo, he says, some of the people that are donating to breaking points, some of these people are like millionaires and billionaires. And then that explains a lot. That explains how they're able to get that fancy studio. That explains like how they're able to get pushed up in the algorithm. Like, yes, they already had a following from rising, but still like, so that's what people have to understand. That's why I'm trying to tell you guys what I found out. And we'll talk about those in calling, not on YouTube, but what I found out over this past year is some of the people that were saying that they're independent are not truly independent. Like, for example, me, I don't have billionaire funding. I don't have any billionaire that said, hey, can I give you this and I'll help you out? I don't, RBN does not have a billionaire funding or anything like that. We don't have those things. If we did, we would probably have five times the number of subscribers that we do now. Think about it, guys. The amount of content that we put out on RBN, there's clips, at least five clips a day, plus a live stream. Okay, so RBN produces more content than I do on my channel. There is no reason why, if you think about it, how is it that RBN is not at 100,000 subscribers right now? Think about it. So I found out along the way, a lot of these people who were saying we're independent media, they were backed by millionaires and billionaires. They weren't truly independent. Go ahead, uh, Claire, and I'll go to you, Case. Claire? Oh, no. Claire, what happened? Claire, I'll invite you to speak. That usually fixes it. Go ahead, Case. Yeah, just want to tell you that my father, he tweeted, um, he DM'd me. He was like, hey, you gotta check out this uh, Sabby Sab interview, Scott Ritter, not knowing I was already halfway through that interview. So I just want to tell you that was a very, very good interview. I think there was a part that I want to clip. So you might, don't be surprised if you see uh, me clip um, part of that interview. And then um, the other thing I want to say before I forget is that I'm going to be interviewing uh, the Green Party candidate for senator for senator uh in new jersey for new jersey this sunday christina uh i gotta find out how to pronounce her last name uh her first name is christina and i i uh, just want to throw that out there if you don't mind and uh thank you so cool beans oh that's kind of cool your dad i didn't know your dad watches um indie media that's pretty cool claire are you there try muting and then unmuting Let's try that out and see if if that works. I, I think you might be stuck in a glitch. I'll bring in Ashura in the meantime. What's going on, Ashura? You just have to unmute. Uh, I thought you were going to skip me for the other guy. 
What other guy? The D. Uh, there's a there's D there. Oh, David. Yeah. Well, we're, he, we're here now, so go ahead. Uh, yeah. About the last guy that came in, uh, you might want to watch the video or before you take anything he says, because I I saw the stream. I was I was watching it. So uh, I I came back to talk about the uh, the 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 interview you had with Scott Ritter. I was surprised you had Scott Ritter on. Because you you know last time we had the discussion of the people at the march of uh, march for what was it the the one where we disagreed that who should be there or not because some people are not they're not actually pro uh, they're basically a bunch of pro war people at the, at the rally march for for Ukraine whatever the fuck it or you don't want to talk about the one that you attended um the rage against the war machine rally yes yeah Scott Ritter wasn't a speaker at that rally. Well, no, he was supposed to be a speaker, but I know we had a call and we disagreed that he shouldn't be there. And I was surprised that when you had him interviewed, I was like, oh, okay. Because I, I saw him on RBN a day before, or maybe a day before or on the same day. And uh, I was surprised that when he was he started talking, it sounded like he sounded like he was giving you a bedtime story because you were really immersed in it. Well, I think there are two different things here. Um, the Rage Against the War Machine rally, number one, was supposed to be an anti-war rally, which later on I found out it wasn't really an anti-war rally. It was an anti-Ukraine war rally, which is how it should have been advertised. And I, I still stand by that. I think, and I said it back then, there were things that they should have done with that rally that they did not do. So I still stand by that. But just because I don't think that someone should be speaking at an anti-war rally if they're not anti-war that has nothing to do with me interviewing that person. Those are two different things. They're mutually exclusive. No, I'm talking about because we talked about, you know, what he did. So I was surprised that he was on your on your show. So that was basically just the gist. I'm not basically making a thing about it. What he did about it, what? No, when we talked about Scott Ritter, what happened with Scott Ritter, like his past. So I actually at that, but that was what I saw at that point in time, but I actually did more research on that. And what I saw was that some of the things that were said about Scott Ritter were not backed by receipts. Like people were exaggerating things and like, you know, I mean, I actually saw the interview that he did with uh, Danny Haifong where he did, you know, talk about like his situation. Yeah. Cause and I so, yeah, yeah. When, so, so there were people there were people going around saying that he pled guilty. And after I did my own research, you're right. Like, but after I did my own research, I found out that that actually wasn't true. So some of the things that people said about Scott Ritter in reference to his particular case have not been true. Yeah, because when he came out on RBN and then he came on your show and I was like, OK, why is he here? Because I know we, we know we ripped him a new asshole over it. And then I'm like, OK, maybe Sabrina has something on him that's probably she probably found something out it turns out it wasn't true that's why he's on the show so all i will say is this because this wasn't the topic that this is not what the interview was about but all i will say is this i have looked into this a little bit further than some other people and what i will say is that some of the things that were said about scott ritter in reference to that particular incident are not true. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, were you surprised, like, when he told you that um, Iran didn't have weapons of mass? Well, did have weapons of mass destruction. I I was at work when I was listening to that shit, 
And I jumped out of my fucking seat and I said, no fucking way. They're, they didn't have no fucking weapons of mass destruction. But then he said, oh, that was before 2000, you know, the 9-11 shit. And I'm like, well, why mm -hmm. didn't you start with that? Because it kind of looked like you were saying they did have weapons of mass destruction. Well, they did. The country itself did. So there's two different things. The country did. Saddam Hussein did not. So that's the thing. Prior to Saddam Hussein, they did have weapons of mass destruction. After Saddam Hussein, they did not. So when the U.S. government said Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, what Scott Ritter was trying to explain to people is that he knew that that was a lie because he was a part of the team that removed them. Yeah, because it's just for me, it's like it's the way he said it. He should have basically started with that part where he said, "No, they didn't have it. They didn't have it at one point, but it was destroyed." It's the way he started the he started that conversation to me. That was like, uh, <laughs> it was like weird. But uh, Scott Ritter, like, uh, regardless how what, what what is the political affiliation, I think this guy, if you basically ask him, I, I think he he might be a socialist, even though he might call himself a capitalist. Um, I don't think he's a socialist. Um, we don't agree. No, no. Basically, he might have some socialist views, but like anti-war shit. Uh, he might have that. But he's not anti-war. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna disagree on that part. Yeah, like he he has mentioned that he's talked about this. Um, I know Danny's had him on a couple times, so I, it might be hard to find the exact interview. But there was one interview that Danny did with um, Scott Ritter. It was right before the Rage Against the War Machine rally. And he did explain this, that he's not technically anti-war because he does feel like there's some, like, he said that, like, if somebody attacks us, he feels like we have the right to defend, you know. Yeah. So he doesn't consider that to be anti-war. But he did say that he's not technically anti-war. But I will say, when I find that video, I'm going to go and find it. But when I find that video, I can send it to you guys because that was also where he addressed the accusations. You know, he addressed, like, what happened with his case and stuff like that, too. And all I can say is, is, like, sometimes it's good to, like, look these things up for yourself because I just... You know, I fell into that, too. Like, I believe what people were saying online. And then after I saw him on Danny's show, I started doing my own research. And I was like, oh, just because someone was convicted doesn't mean that they were guilty. And we have to remember that. Yeah. yeah it was a very interesting interview. <laughs> um, uh, do you think Scott will come back on your show at some point? Like, do you think he's pro-war with the China thing? I, I know he basically doesn't. He was saying a little bit of stuff that sounded a little bit capitalistic. He was saying stuff about, well, we need to basically have an edge. Uh, he was talking about we need to have, like, um, what do you call it? Uh, he said they needed to have, like, control over the, 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 the market or some shit like that. No, like, I'm not the best person to talk to about the China conflict. Like, usually when I talk about China, I try to bring on someone who's more knowledgeable about it. I'm not as knowledgeable about China. Like I think in the past when I've talked about it, I brought on like Danny Haifong. Um, I think I brought on someone else too, but I usually bring on people that are a little bit more like well-versed with that particular area. Um, I tend to be better with, in reference to foreign policies, I tend to be better with Europe and Latin America and some parts of Africa. But when it comes to China, you know, I'm not as as knowledgeable about that. I know some things, but not enough. 
uh, what's your um, assessment on Scott? Is he like um, he he's not he, he, as you said he's not pro he's not uh, anti-war, but he would go to war if it meant like there might be some conflict. Well, what he said on Danny Haifong's show that time was that if we were attacked, like we would, we should be able to defend ourselves. So that's why he said he's not anti-war. That's what he was saying. He explained this on Danny's show. I have to find that episode, but it was a long conversation. Um, But like I said, we we don't agree on all the issues, but I still think like his experience as an intelligence, a former intelligence officer um, has been very helpful to people within this space. Yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of funny every time you were saying, I'm an American, I'm an American. I'm like, okay, dude, but it seems like you're almost on that capitalist, uh, America is the greatest country in the world, blah, 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 bullshit. But he's willing to basically not go and just point the, point the gun and shoot at you first. He's going to basically want to know what the hell's going on first before he goes to war with you. Well, I will say, like, to be honest with you, sure, a lot of people in in this space, those in left independent media, a lot of them are not socialists. In fact, most of them are not. So just FYI. Like, yeah. I think I think that was the difference with the RBN is because we were like, no, like, we're proud to say that we're socialists, you know, and comparing it to. I think some of the channels that we had watched in the past were like, they said, oh, we agree with democratic socialism. That's not the same thing as socialism. So I think democratic socialism still leaves room for capitalism. And that's what people have to understand. Whereas with RBN, we were like, no, capitalism is a fucking problem there. You can't put guardrails on capitalism. And so we are further to the left than that. And I think that's that's the big difference. Yeah, and I'll probably end with this one. Mehdi Hassan, uh, did he really think he was gonna get, he was gonna go back on MSNBC? He was gonna get his old job back because because I noticed that when he got his old job back, I thought, okay, here comes Mehdi Hassan back. But then, where are the other Muslim guys? Why are they not on the air that that fast? Because you had, uh, I think, did Velshi come back on the show at some point after yeah. Mehdi? Velshi came back, and the other guy came back, but again, it was only after they were. MSNBC was critiqued for not having. Did you notice that when, <laughs> when, 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 uh, Mehdi was interviewing that Israeli guy, he got super fucking testy at him. He probably realized, oh, he's fucking Muslim. He, he was raising his voice at him. Like he was going to pop a blood vessel. I'm sure he knew that before he came onto the show. Mehdi Hassan is pretty much a prominent figure. Uh, people know who he is before they go into the show for the most part. So I'm pretty sure he already knew that Mehdi Hassan was Muslim, you know? Yeah. So you think that's the, that's the part that basically killed his, uh, they, in, they, they killed in his my kid. opinion, if I had to pick one thing, I think it was that particular interview. I think it's interesting that his show was canceled after that interview. So okay. I think that was the one. Okay. I was, I was like, I, I don't know why they killed him. They, they killed his, his show off. And now it's, He's the fact that he's still on MSNBC is kind of it's kind of jarring for me. Why not just quit? They, they basically canceled your show. Just quit. Why stay? You got to have another job lined up to quit. <laughs> I mean, he can go independent media. He could, he could, but I'm pretty sure he likes the perks that he gets with MSNBC. Like these people are paid a lot of money, Ashura. 
a okay. lot of fucking money. <laughs> Somebody asked you to uh, invent Medi on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Medi would go for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. And I, I'm just waiting for when Valshi himself, his show gets canned. The other guy gets canned. The new guy that's coming in, I don't know about him. Like, I don't know why they gave him a spot. Maybe he's probably, he's probably a guy that um, he does what the establishment wants. Yeah. I mean, he again, he also didn't have that interview with Netanyahu's advisor. So there's that, too. Um, I saw someone said Bree invited Mehdi on the Hill. Yeah, the Hill's corporate media. He might come on there. You know, I, people forget that sometimes. Like, the Hill is corporate. They're part of Nexstar. So the same thing with News Nation. So what was that bullshit with Elon Musk inviting Netanyahu on Twitter? It's the same bullshit with Elon Musk inviting RFK Jr. and Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, David Sachs. Like it's the like that's the little billionaires club. Like the billionaires and millionaires club. Doesn't anybody find it strange that he was inviting presidential candidates on to host like Twitter Spaces, but he excluded certain people? He only brought on the ones that his billionaire buddies like. Yeah, it's it's fucking weird. If you wanted to be, if you wanted to be both sides, just bring everybody on. Right. That's that's the way that you would do it. Um, but again, like it's this is why I can try and tell people like you can't be friends with these fucking people, man. Like you can't. These people are not. It's really interesting to me when Elon like took over Twitter. All the accounts that I saw like trying to kiss his ass, like. Oh, Elon, get it da, da, da. Elon's been so great to me and da da da. And I'm just like, you guys, he's a fucking billionaire. Like, why why are you even because they want to be seen and heard. But they I'm like wanna be, they want to be in those spaces. They want to be able to say they hung out with Elon Musk and all these rich people and shit like that. I don't give a fuck. Elon doesn't <laughs> care about those people. I'm I'm like, if Elon really cared about people, he would have basically brought uh, what's his name, um, Garner Nixon back on. You know what? It's still a damn shame that Garland Nixon is still locked out of Twitter. Yeah, and I and, and tonight I'm hearing Notori was locked out. I was like, eh, why is Notori not 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 tweeting? Normally she tweets some shit. Well, Max has said on my show before, he said, I think the last time Max came on, he said he thought the reason that Garland was locked out was because Garland didn't have a blue check, which to be fair, Garland Nixon should have had a blue check. Like I'm talking about before um, there was the Twitter, um, Twitter blue option. Garland Nixon should have had a blue check because Garland Nixon had a radio show. For those who don't know, like he has a radio show, like he was already a prominent uh, journalists, he should have already had a blue check. But as time went by, they became more picky about who they gave blue checks to. So I guess as around the time Garland Nixon came onto Twitter, they made it more difficult for you to get a blue check. Like they, I remember one time someone told me that like they had applied for it and they said that you had to have like six articles that were published within the last six months or whatever. And they said they had all the requirements and they still were rejected. So some of the people that were able to get blue checks, like for example, like um, Gene Uger and like Kyle Kalinske and stuff like that, like they got blue checks like back in the day when it was easier to get them. It's a lot harder. It became harder to get a blue check as time went by. 
You think Jane Uger is going to be at the <laughs> the debate stage? No. Why not? He's already gotten on one state, I think. Listen, the whole Jane Uger run is a fucking joke. Again, he's just trying to sell his book. He yeah. knows damn well he's not going to go far. He's polling lower than anybody, by the way. Lower than any any of the. He's polling lower than Green Party, than Independence, than Marianne. Marianne's at least double digits. He's polling lower than anybody. Everybody knows that Jink is like full of shit. It was. It's funny to me. Like even when Anna was talking to him, it was like they were doing that interview. I'm like, why is Anna doing this shit? Didn't he tell Anna that he would never run for office again? And Anna said, "Thank you," and but he did again. Like. You can't trust Jane Uger. I get people said it was for the ratings. They want they want the show to go back up. People aren't watching the show. Yeah, he's. I'm sorry, but I know people don't like to hear this term often. But when we talk about like grifting, like I feel like Jink really is a grifter. Like he knows damn well he has no chance. This is just another chance for him to sell his book. I think that's what this is really about. Hey, you know, he he's on The Breakfast Club. What? Jake Yu was on The Breakfast Club, I think. Of course he was. Well, The Breakfast Club interviews all the presidential candidates. Oh, is he? <laughs> well, Jake Yu is a kangaroo pair president. You made it, Jake! <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I'm sure Nina Turner probably gave him the hookup because she's she's been on there a couple times. Eh, they can't, but they canceled Nina's show. I don't think well, they're talking. Well, she, well, she canceled her show. Really? Some people said CYT did it. She, the announcement said she did it. She announced it, and she said that she was leaving the show because she was working on other projects. Yeah. Or they could have pushed her out and said, "Yeah, right, yeah, gonna, yeah." They could have pushed her out. We're gonna save you face and allow you to leave. You know, make it seem amicably or leaving dignity or something. Yeah, because I'm yeah, pretty it sure kinda, he... it was kind of weird because I remember someone pointed out they were like savvy. They said Nita Turner show on TYT, which has millions of subscribers. They were saying she her views were lower than RBN's, which didn't make any sense, in my opinion. I think she was on a whole different uh, YouTube channel. So, like, when you got to start over from scratch, even though you're connected to TYT, it's still um, hard. But oh. because, because you're connected to TYT, it should be easier than, the, than if I did it, you know what I'm saying? But... Because she started her own channel. It's almost like how there's TYT um, Rebel or something like that. I know when um, Jordan Sheridan, when he started the channel, uh, it took a while for it to hit 100K. And he was with TYT at the time. So I think it's kind of that type of scenario. Mm. I, I just reminded something. Um, so I, I, should I say um, case study reminded me of something since he's from New Jersey. Did, so did your report yesterday with uh, Cory Booker, um, I think it was your report that they was, they was talking about there's more, um, it, I guess it kind of confirmed it, but there's, there's more independence in uh, New Jersey. 
than there are um, Democrats and Republicans. Um, so, you know, you should think that would be a swing that's, state. That's interesting. I want to I want to make sure I bring in um Claire. Claire, I know you're there. If you can unmute. Okay, go ahead. Yay, we hear you. Okay, cool. Hey, Savvy. Hey, everyone. Um, I just want to kind of bring in this little monkey wrench, mostly because I saw that um, Kim Iverson had just posted this video about the Malaysia Airlines disappearance. Uh Yeah, apparently some video resurfaced and... I guess the person she's interviewing has been looking at this for a number of years. And it looks like some orbs swarmed around it and made it disappear. And I am like, what? Yeah, they just kind of come out of nowhere. And the video is actually from three different cameras. Two of the cameras are on a joint satellite and one is like a Grey Eagle type um, drone. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of mind blowing to watch watch that plane just disappear. And it looks like it's said, trying to evacuate. Wait, you said drones swarmed around it? Well, there was a drone watching the whole thing. And that's one of the videos that we can see is the drone footage. Because it looks like someone filmed this, which is so crazy. It's like they filmed it from space and they filmed it from a drone. And you just see the plane just disappear. They got teleported. I'm going to have to watch that that segment from Kim Iverson because that is wild. Because number one, why was the drone filming that plane? Yeah, like same time, same place. And he goes into his whole methodology and how he's proving that this footage is real and all that. I think it's really fascinating. And it kind of brings me back to the whole alien thing. I know there's been some reporting that it all stems from the CIA because it's one of the most compartmentalized agencies and from some sort of office called the office of global access, which Google will not tell you about. I saw that reporting on the Hill. Um, and what? I don't know. I'm just like, the, the great thing that I can see is we'll finally have the technology to stop all this useless war over energy because it's just, we already have the limitless stuff. <laughs> and who knows what else? I mean, the ability to regrow limbs, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what kind of crazy stuff they're hiding, but I feel like it's about time we just pull this out of the hat. Let's not do the World War Three and just, just disclose the technology. They're going to use that for war. That technology, reverse engine. I'm trying well, to get already... Whitney Webb. I'm still trying to get Whitney Webb to come on. If anybody knows a direct way to contact her, let me know because. When I went to the website Unlimited Hangout, there was no option anymore to select a person and request interviews. So I just had to submit the form, which I suck at forms. Like when they asked me to submit a form to interview someone, I never hear back. But I'm trying to get her on because she tweeted something today talking about AI and talking about how AI 
is not just going to be used um, in reference to uh, Palestine. She said that is actually just Palestine is the the testing ground. And eventually they're going to try to use AI to implement uh, weapons across the world. So I've, I've been trying to find a way to get Whitney Webb to come on. But yeah, it's wild. How long, how long, how long until the Terminator shows up? I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I think we're on a very interesting path. I think 2024, something about it feels different. And I'm like, either we're going to total oblivion or we're going to get off that path and head towards the path of peace. I just hope it's the peace path. I'm I'm too young to die. Yeah, because like it. So if anybody knows how, if anybody knows how to contact Whitney Webb, another way. Oh, wait a minute. Dave said Graham. Graham E has her contact info. Okay, call Graham. Okay, I think Graham follows me. I can ask Graham. Well, Elwood. I can I can ask him. Yeah. Because I saw that tweet of hers today and I was like, holy shit. Because I've watched her interviews in reference to the Epstein like situation and her like events surrounding Jeffrey Epstein have just been very, very detailed. Like she knows her stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine. Well, I. I sort of like to imagine that all of this stuff is connected. There's just so many secrets and perhaps they all come from a similar source. Well, that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to drop that. Everyone go watch that video because it's crazy. All right. I have something to watch on my on my playlist. I'm going to have to check that one out. You, you want to know what's funny about that? I mean, they got uh, Jeffrey Epstein's list. They won't put it out, but they can find other shit to make you talk about. I think they're not putting it out because I think there are pretty high profile people on that list, and that's why they're not releasing it. I'm like, let's, bring in, let's bring in Dave. Dave, uh, hon, you're a speaker. You have to unmute. What's going on, Dave? Uh-oh. Oh, no. Dave, I think you're... I don't know if you're using your phone or your computer, but we can't we can't hear you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish with one more, Sabrina, and let, and let Sele in. Do okay. you think uh, Rokana, after you got that video of Rokana getting steamed on by that one <laughs> that one 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 caller, you think that's what scared the fuck out of him? Yes, because. You have them literally in Congress now. They are going after the word. They're using the word anti-Semitic for just anything. You criticize Israel or even a pro-Zionist person, anti-Semitic all the way, and they're they're trying to they're trying to ban it so you can't say it, so that Israel can just keep doing what it's doing. And with Rokana, he wants to be president so bad. I don't think he's ever going to be president. There's no fucking way. And once she said that. Rokana's face when he when he like it, it's like it was like watching what's that guy's name the guy that likes to do the videos on Twitter but he 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 likes to see you get punched and slapped um turncoat Don it was like watching a turncoat Don video because his face was still when she was basically slapping him hard 
Okay, so that woman was hilarious, but you know what? She was straight to the point because she told Rokana, she said, look, she said, you can kiss your your presidential ambitions goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> She's like, you think you have it in the bag? You don't. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I, I was like yeah, I was like, yo, please, wh- where's the blood? Where's the toe cut, turn coat down blood? I'm like, oh, what you say? You don't, you, you're not gonna be president. I was like, oh, where's the scratch? What's the scratch <laughs> on his face? Where's the blood? But Ashira, the look on his face. Exactly, like, he face. was stunned. Was first, the before I before I did the show, when, the first time I watched that video, I was like, did it? Did he freeze? Like exactly. I thought he froze for a second. I thought I was, I was watching like, the turn coat down video. Right. I, I was like, I thought something, maybe something was wrong with the video. And then I realized, no, he just, that was just him. <laughs> yeah, she scared the shit out of him. And plus with the protests out there, oh, he knows he's fucked if he doesn't listen, do something. Listen, I interviewed Rokana that one time. And after Tim that, Pope. I said, I don't need to talk to this motherfucker anymore. That one time. This guy tried to tell me, well, listen, uh, you know, Barack Obama was the first black. And I was like, I know this fool was not trying to sit up here and use this rhetoric with me, a black person. I well, couldn't he, believe he even tried. He even tried to do that. I was like, are you serious? And then he was like, well, I blame people like Jill Stein for the reason Hillary Clinton lost the election. I was like, motherfucker, get you guys don't even know what I was thinking in my head. In my I head, know, I was thinking, know, know, motherfucker, get up out of here. Get up out of here with that bullshit. You say you're progressive. You're not fucking progressive. I mean, they talked about it on the Jimmy Dorsha one time. They said um, when they when they did the letter about Bernie, his name got brought up. And they said that uh, one of the people in Washington, they really believe that their, their, their staff, they really believe in Rokana. That Rokana is going to be president. <laughs> They're not going to call him out. But you know why? Because he checks off all the boxes. Just like Richie Torres checked off all the boxes. Yeah. And then you got the CBC having problems with Israel. I'm like, these guys are bootleggers for Israel. And yet the, Israel was to go after the CBC. I'm still surprised about what Rashida, the, the whole vote at, at, in Congress with Rashida and the squad, especially Rashida. Why, why not vote no? Exactly. Exactly. You have two, sure. you have, you gonna, have two gonna, Republicans. I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to talk about that on Sunday because I have something else to dive into as well. And I want to give myself time to go through the video. I have something else that I want to connect all this to, because the thing is with Rashida Tlaib, like through all your fight for the Palestinian people, when it came time to vote in reference to this, you mean to tell me that Thomas Massey was willing to push back against it, but you voted present and you're the Palestinian. Get the fuck out of here, man. This is why I don't have sympathy for the squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I had hope for her. I was like, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. All that silly. And... I don't see how you can be surprised after all this. You know, I mean, the the squad, they're careerists. They're, they're in it for the money. And they may try to do a little something here and there. But, you know, they voted for Nancy Pelosi. They voted for Hakeem Jeffries. And... I mean, they're just Democrats, and so they shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dave says he's still trying to get into. Uh, he's having trouble. Dave, you have to un unmute and. 
Well, you you unmuted. Okay, go ahead. You you're unmuted, but we can't hear you. So that means it's something with your audio. Let me go ahead and bring in um Seely. Okay, Seely, what's going on? Hi, Savi. We'll wait for you, Dave. But I think I think it's your audio. What's going on? Hi, uh, and thank you to Ashura. Um, no, I wanted to ask your thoughts about, you know, that there's a referendum on what um, Venezuela, about the Sequibo region, and I wanted to know if you think how far could it escalate? What is the referendum about? Uh, it's about uh, the Sequibo region. It, you, there's a, a, a region that is disputed, Uh, within it's in Guyana now, and the well, it is Venezuelans, and it, you like I'm not going to go through the story. I know you're you're hurry, but it, you took British colonization and some dirty tricks. It it uh, it was from the British, then it, it was left. When the British left, they. It was in the UN by a Geneva, uh, um, it's called a Geneva Agreement, that it was considered that it's a dispute in territory, it has been negotiations. And in 2015, Exxon found uh, oil exactly on the river that is being claimed by, by Venezuela. That was Venezuelan territory, right? Until the, the Dutch took it away and then the British took it from the Dutch And then they found gold in that region and started going in. And it was the 19th century, so Venezuela couldn't do much about it. And the thing is that next to Exxon, right, like uh, when they said, okay, stop, because this region is deep in dispute, the South Command appeared and all the weapons. And on Sunday, they are having a referendum about the people have to vote about how much do are they willing to to support their government to go for this region and to right because they are accusing the us of of right like by basically staging a military base there and you know that region but you know trump's words about that that region but i don't know like laura richardson had already talked about it as They talk, she talked about it, that and the lithium in in the South America and the water as if, if like she started saying there and ended up saying our water, our oil. And yeah, I don't think she knows very well what the frontiers are. So I'm But I'm I'm just not I'm not familiar. Um it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. I, I'm really worried because it can very, very soon become a proxy war there. And the U.S. during Trump, they already tried to gather up uh, all the presidents. Mike Pence did this tour trying to to convince them to invade Venezuela. But just the Colombian president by that time, Duque, was the only one that accepted. So it didn't, it didn't went through, right? But... Yes, being presidential elections and all of that. Okay, I I will see how it goes then. Just 
I, I don't know. Everybody should keep an eye on it. Hmm. I'll, I'll have to check. I'll have to check it out, Celie. Um, I'm not familiar, but I'll, I'll have to check it out. I do know. Um, in reference to the oil, like it wouldn't surprise me. Um, mm -hmm. but what we'll, we'll uh, happens? And this region, right? Like it's like Venezuela. They have more oil than Kuwait and and Saudi Arabia, as much as they're taking. So it's. It's very convenient for 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 the U.S. now that it's having problems with the Middle East. So that's scary. Okay, so thank you for having me. All right, thank you so much. All right, anyone else who's a speaker want to say anything else before I head out? Going once. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Noel. Much love. Good morning, Noel. And much love to the crew. Have a good night. Oh, there was something I forgot to say. So, did you go to the candy store? No, I told you I don't really no, I mean, eat yeah. candy like that. Yeah, no, I mean, your, your, your other half wanted to go. No, not really. Oh, okay. How do you like the pizza? <laughs> I, I like my Brooklyn pizza better. It was it was good, but it's not better than my Brooklyn pizza. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's it. How did your meeting with Danny uh, Hyperon go? It was fun. It was kind. Of, it was cool to like talk to to Danny in person. person. You know, nice. so like um yeah, we all chatted for a long time. Um, but it was it was really cool. Awesome. I should have told you I I didn't I forgot about this at the time, but I think you're in New Jersey anyway. But I should have told you I was coming. No, nah, yeah. When you say you was in New York, I was like, I don't. Should I reach out? But if you're down to hook um to meet up, I would definitely be down to meet up with you. I mean, I work in New York City, so I, I'm in the area. Oh yeah, and I thought about it. I was like, maybe Case is not gonna be in the area because it's Thanksgiving weekend. So that was the other thing I thought yeah. about because Indy Left reached out too, and he was like, next time let me know when you're coming because he said he's like an hour away. Oh that, yeah, that would be cool if we do a little meetup with um, with Indy Left too because I'm familiar and I know he's in New Jersey. I never met up with him before though, but or I might actually at a protest I might have met him before, so maybe. Yeah, but yeah. next yeah definitely next time we'll hook up. Uh, mm -hmm. And you'll probably be taller than me too, Case. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You can take a picture. By the way, for people saying, oh, Sabby's very short. I'm 5'5". Five five. It's just everybody else is tall. <laughs> so just keep that. And and Danny is, is, is very tall. Just FYI. You guys can't really tell that much because we were sitting down. <laughs> but Danny is very tall. Oh, cool, cool. I met, oh, Josana before at a protest. I think at the same protest that I might have met Indy left that. I think I'm, I I have a picture with her. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Aww. Oh, that'll be cool. Next time we'll take a picture. Bryce, I am not short, okay? My doctor told me years ago that 5'5 five five is considered average. That's not short. I know people who are like four feet tall. Okay. All right, Bryce. All right, guys. Anyway, I'm heading out. Thanks so much for hanging out. Have a good weekend. Bye. Peace out.